Hi guys, welcome back to Offscript. I'm Cookie. I've got Righty with me as well today. Hopefully you're really enjoying these podcasts so far. If you are, give us a bit of support, share them around with your friends. Uh, let's see how many people we can get watching these lovely podcasts. As I mentioned, I'm with the East Coast of Iniesta. Mr. Lewis Wright, how are you, Righty? Brilliant today, mate. Excited about this episode. Fantastic. So am I. Do you want to introduce our guest today? Yeah, it was a from a coaching standpoint, he's a legend in my eyes. He knows that. Um, at Boston, he was known as Captain Chaos. He's ex-Pilgrims uh, youth team and first team manager and currently at Doncaster Rovers. It's Mr. Steve Welsh. How are you, Steve? Very well, guys. Yourselves? Oh, fantastic. Well, well up for this uh, episode today. So, ha- how's life, Steve? How's, uh, no. how's the lockdown treat you apart from the hair? <laughs> apart from the hair. Um, all right, Lou. Yeah, fine. We've um, we've we've operating as I, 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 my particular role. I have, I'm not. I can't be furloughed. Uh, I'm separately funded for my particular role. So right. I've been working all the way through, really. So it's it's not a great deal of change for me, apart from the fact that um, you know, the the, the schoolboys program has had to sort of pause, obviously, because of lockdown. But the under 18s have been and they've been in training every day, doing their education, and playing the league games. So that's that's fine. Uh, but with this just this week, actually, just Monday, we started back with the young ones. So hopefully we're back and we're, we're going to stay back now to the end of the season. So fingers crossed. But good. Yeah, that's hopefully good. a bit of normality uh, to continue throughout. So no, it's good that you've been uh, obviously keeping busy with obviously within your role. Um, obviously, it was quite important that we got you uh, on off script. Uh, as we spoke off camera, there's a few boys always mentioning you and a few of you. Your methods, which we'll, we'll touch on. So, Steve's here today, Cookie, to, um, I don't know, set people straight on <laughs> on his certain old-school methods. So, um, we'll see what comes up uh, later. Um, so, like we do on Offscript, Steve, we're, we're going to cover um, the pathway. Uh, we're going to touch on your pro career, coaching career, um, the Boston United days. And then you've got, I bet you've got a juicy 1-11 to 11 with some of the players you've played against coming up in a bit. Um, if Loudrup isn't on that, it is a travesty. <laughs> it is a travesty. So, um, Pathway, so what age did you um, start playing up in Scotland? I guess, I guess I'm no different to the lads you've had on before. You know, lads are kicking a ball about since they were probably five or six years of age. Yeah. No different for me, really. Um I don't think you just kicking a ball about in the mate in the street with your pals. And it just so happens that one of the guys, one of the neighbours, I think, was running a football team and said, Listen, do you want to come and join the local boys' club? I think I must have been about nine year old. We didn't start playing for about under tens. Um just joined the local boys' club, um, Creighton Boys Club, played with them for a couple of years. Um, and then played with the school team and stuff like that. Um and back in them days we used to always play on a Saturday, right? Never played on a Sunday. It was always a Saturday fixture. So, you know, you, you go and you play football in the, in the morning. And if you could sneak up and watch a, a football match in the afternoon when you were a bit older, you would do if you could. Name money. So you're trying to skip over the fence or skip over the wall or somebody to throw you <laughs> over the turnstile. Um, so I, it was great. It was great times, really. And I got to about, I got to about 13, I think 13 or 14. And uh, I must have played in a game and some, I, I a letter for St Mum Football Club inviting me to a trial and uh, I went along to St Mum uh, managed to be successful in the trial 
I think it was one of my teachers, actually. I think it was one of my teachers had recommended me. Right. A colleague of his, a friend of his, was coaching at St. Mern at the time. And I think they phoned up. And it was a, the guy who was my coach was a my coach at St. Mern was a teacher at another school. And he's an invitation, came across, got a long trial, uh, and everything went well. So about, so about 14 onwards, I was with St. Mern for a few years. And then it got to the stage where you got to make decisions, you get apprenticeships as it was back then. Um, and we had a good side, we had a really good side at under sort of 16s, a couple of lads that went down to Leeds and Ipswich on trial. And nothing, nothing, but nothing happened. None of us got took on with St. Mern at all. So we all just kind of felt, fell away, really. Uh, up up then, in Scotland, Steve, does um like playing for a St. Mirren, do, do you still get like the, the Rangers? I shouldn't say that in, in your presence, I know that, but uh, obviously Celtic. Do they do they come in and have a look, or were they sort of teams which was looking further afield than Scotland? Yeah, no, you play. Obviously, you're playing the Celtic and the Rangers and the Dundee United's um, when you're younger. But uh, Celtic and Rangers were always that bit better. They were always right. that bit better. They just had the, the, the pick of the kids, really. Although in saying that, Dundee United always had a very strong youth setup. And then if you went through to Edinburgh and played the, the Hibs and the Hearts. Uh, again, they had such strong connections with it. They, they could pull guys in for Fife and Berwick and places like that, the borders right. to train. Whereas you went with Celtic Rangers, most of the kids were sort of greater Glasgow area, um, doing, doing into Ayrshire and things like that. But it was, no, it was really good. It was great. I mean, you got a couple of doings when you played Rangers and Celtic sometimes. But um, but it was it was great. I mean, I mean out of, that, out of that team I, I played with at 16, I was really quite surprised that one or two guys never got something. You know what yeah. I mean? But that's what it is. Was, was, it, was, it like a, was it like what we know as a centre of excellence then um, at St Mirren or was it just a normal sort of, I don't know, like community team as such? Or ah, yeah. it, was, it was a little bit like that, Lou. It was a little yeah. bit. We played in it, the, what they called the youth, youth, youth league, youth, not youth professional league, because you want to be professional, but youth, amateur, youth amateur league or whatever right. it's called. But the Celtic and the Rangers were in it, and um, uh, but it was like, we train what once a week. You maybe train once. Right. Maybe, I mean, you're a bit older. We, we trained twice a week and played on a Saturday. Um, but you're playing for the school. I'd play for the school on a Saturday morning, and then rush home, get changed, put my shirt and tie on, and then go and play for St. London in the afternoon. Right. So on a Saturday, you're playing two games of football. And by that time, you've only gone. To, the only time I got to watch Celtic play was midweek. I pick it's, up on something there, uh, very professional, shirt and tie. It was that sort of standard for... I, I, it's a moment it was, I had to, oh, you had to turn up with a shirt standard. and tie and all that. And, um, uh, and so, yeah, so you, the time you're, you're literally going through one game of football in the morning, get home, quick change, get, you know, get in the bus, get in the bus, can you know that? Get in the bus, yeah. to, to, <laughs> up to Paisley, get to meet, to meet and then go and play the game. And um, and it was good because we used to, the, the, the game, we used to play... Our pitch, home pitch, was run, literally around the corner for the old Love Street. Um, and if the game finished early, we'd all try and get changed quickly and nick in and try and catch maybe the last 15, 20 minutes of the St. Mern again, whoever they were playing. Um, uh, so that was, that was that was good fun. But uh, it got to the stage where, listen, it, you've got to remember, a different generation. When I left school yeah. back then, there was three and a half million people unemployed in this country. Right, and you were just desperate to get a job somewhere, right? I want, and I didn't want to stay on at school. I wanted, to, I wanted an apprenticeship. I wanted to join. I wanted, I wanted an appreneurship, and I just, for love and money, I couldn't get it. But so you had to make decisions. Ah, oh, decent. Did, 
so you, you mentioned playing for school. Did did you have like pick get picked for the county? Did did do they have that up in in Scotland, or is it a little bit different to England to Scotland? And also, um, was you always a defender? Was it always oh, right. defender oh, for you? I was, I was always a flanker. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, when I was when I was in primary school, I was quite quick. I think so. Yeah. I used to stick me up front, and I scored a load of goals at primary school. But you know, like they'll. All centre forwards go back and end up playing at the back. Yeah. <laughs> the time I was thirteen, I was well and truly at the back. <laughs> my, my good fortune was, Lou, I was left-footed, right? Yeah. And when you're left-footed, you always seem to. I, 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 more more opportunities were presented to me, I think, than others because I was naturally left-footed. Um, uh, so even now, when you look for kids now, when you're looking at and you're watching kids coaching, you're watching games. To see a to see a natural left-footed player is still quite an oddity, right? Yeah. It's still quite a and you, and they, they do they do stick out well. They do stick out like sore thumbs, and you can see we maybe at Doncaster we maybe chasing say a left back or a left winger, but you probably find that there's two or three clubs chasing the same player because it is yeah. quite a difficult you know it's it's, it's not it's unusual. Right, always, for me, for me, a left-footed player, it, everything looks technically better as well. I don't know what it is. It, you know, it, if they strike a ball, it looks so much sweeter than somebody right footed doing it. I, th I think it's just because it's like, as you say, it's a bit different. It's a bit of an oddity. Uh, I, think I think I must have been one of the few exceptions to that rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, did anyone come in for you when you were at St Mirren? Um, did, did you have any offers, or was it just St Mirren until where you made that decision about wanting an apprenticeship? Uh, right. At, Right, just no, no. The answer is no. Technically, yeah. uh, I had another year. We had the way the Scottish school system worked. That you had, uh, you do your, your what you would call GCSEs down here. We call them O levels, and then you do what they call a one year higher, right? Which I guess right. you guys would call an AS level, right? And that would that would then qualify you for university if you wanted, right? Or you could stay on and do what they call a six year study, which I guess is equivalent to your A level. Uh, and that could take you into, again on to university. So I got to the stage where um, St Mon weren't offering me anything. Uh, and the manager at St Mon, the actual manager, uh, he said, listen, I want to keep you boys as a group together. If you're going to stay on at school, we'll, we'll keep the name. St Mon allowed us to keep the name. And yeah. we just played in a different league. Right, and so what St. Mon, the deal was that St. Mon would, if they felt that there was any improvement, they would come back and look at us. I don't think they ever did, right? But we were allowed to go and play as a group, so we played for another year, and uh, and that's the year that I decided that my, my future lay elsewhere. Um, and bizarrely enough, just before, literally days before I made the decision to where I was going to go, um, I had a knock at the door, and it was Clyde Bank Football Club. Um, right. now, Clyde Bank Football Club means nothing to people nowadays. Back then. Clyde Bank were in the Scottish Premier League or the top flight of Scottish football. Um, and then my parents gave me a decision. They gave me the weekend to make a decision what I was going to do pretty much for the rest of my life, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing that decision is to probably go and join the army. That's was right. It? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, um, so you, you end up making the decision and going to join the British Army. Um, obviously, big decision, I suppose, now knowing what I know what you've just said um, you've got Clyde Bank you've got the army uh, what swayed you towards the army it's a good, it's good, good question that um, oh, no, when you, I, when you, 
<laughs> when you're growing up and all you want to do is play football um, and you think your time's passed you by a wee bit and then literally I'm joining the army on the Tuesday morning Thursday afternoon Thursday evening we get a knock at the door and it's guy for, two guys for Clydebank they said listen we've seen you play with St Martin blah 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 we'd like to offer you uh, what they called it they called it a youth professional at the time and what it meant is you'd go in and you would train and clean boots and all that sort of stuff and play first team would play on a Saturday at home you'd be you'd play away against so if you're playing Celtic Clydebank playing Celtic at home you would play against Celtic away from home in the kind of B fixture or youth fixture or whatever it was and so I sat down and they said, yeah, I said, listen, I'm joining the army. When are you joining? Tuesday. So they said, listen, it's up to you. It's up to you what you want to do. So my mum and dad sat me down, I think, and said, listen, we'll give you the weekend. By Sunday, we want an answer. So I'd all weekend, I'm chatting to my mates and what you doing? And I sat. But this time, I'd already had the going away party. You know, that's, I'm going to the army, right? So the family's all been running. We've got loads of goodies and all that, you know, and uh, <laughs> to take away with you. So... But I sat down with my mum on the Sunday night and she says, what are you doing? I think they both expected me to say, listen, I'm going to Clydebank. And she says, no, I'm joining the army. And this kind of said, why? I says, the application for the army started in September, right while I was back, went back to school for a year. And um, and I started that application. Uh, and we're sort of nine months down the road. And and I, I, my answer to my mum was, well, where were Clydebank nine months ago? Right? Um, you know, where were they last year? Right, so I kind of committed myself to the army. I'd got my head around that I was going there, and 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 that was it. So that was what it. what did you what what did you go in um, doing? What what was the? Yeah, I joined. Special? Yeah, I've, I've, in fact, I've got one here on the Royal Signals. Um, I've joined the Royal Signals. Um, right. I got myself a trade. I wanted a trade. I wanted a trade, um, and I and, and become a technician in the Royal Signals. I know that I actually done any of the job. That when I actually get in there, it was a. You know, I've done nothing but, and that's another story. I've done other things, but I've, I've done, I passed my trade just. Um, but after that, I never done any of my trade at all. I was too busy doing football and other things, really. So, um, oh, yeah. if, if I'm being honest with you, Lou, um, when I joined, it was like a hand in a glove. It was perfect for me. I just need, I just yeah. needed it. And that sounds a bit over dramatic, but when you're 16, 17 year old, um, you just need someday sometimes to put an arm around you and go, listen, you're wanted, right? Yeah. And you have a couple of knockbacks for football clubs and maybe your confidence is moving over as it is. And all of a sudden, I went to the recruiting, I'll never forget, I, went, I failed an interview with British Gas. I'm walking down the street, I've got my shirt and tie on. And it's about August time, September. And I'm walking down Queen Street in Glasgow. And the, at them days, the, the Army, Navy and Air Force had three different recruiting offices. So you went into one after the other. And the army, the, the navy, and the RAF said to me, "Oh, come back in a year, get your higher results, get your higher results, and come back and see us." And I walked into the army. The guy looked at me, sat me down, gave me a cup of tea, a couple of biscuits, and said, "Oh, salt. <laughs> Would you want some? Would you want?" And it was as if I just—that's what I needed at the time. When I look yeah. back at it now, at the time I would say no, no, no. But when I look back at it, I just needed somebody to go, "Come on, you're, this, you're wanted here," and yeah. and that was it. And when no, I joined, no one knew though, Steve. Cup of tea and a biscuit sells sells it to you anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Cheap date. <laughs> oh, golly. Um Good standard of football in the army. Would you say good standard? Very good. Very fortunate, Lou. Very fortunate. Um, I, 
you know, you do all your basic training, but eventually when you go in, I was fortunate enough, I was I was playing for the, I made my full army debut at 18. Uh, I made my, my full combined services debut. So I played for the army youth, the army combined services youth, army senior team by 18, combined services team by 19. And I think at the time, I stand to be corrected here. At the time, I think I was the youngest player in the forces to do that. Right. So I made my combined services debut at 19. So if my the rest, without realising it at the time, when I look back now, if I'd stayed in the army, my whole career would have been. There'd have been guys going to all different parts of the world. My my postings would have been dictated by my football. Right, so yeah. they, they would want you close to the football centre. So that was that was bam. Listen, I'd done it for three, three, about five and a half years. I joined the army, and I had five and a half, some of the best years of my life. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, just a quick one. We've we've heard, we've heard so many so far that are saying they've got to make that important decision um, at that age. What is it? In, is it important that you made that decision? Like, I know your parents said you've got until Sunday. Is it important that you made that decision by yourself other than other people telling him what you're going to do? Yeah, I think that, Cookie, that's a great point. That's a great point. And this is what we try to do with the younger kids at our place. If things don't work out for them, we try and present them options, right? Rather than tell them what to do, you present them various options and it, then up to them to make that decision because then you're empowering them. Right, or you're in, you know, my mum my and dad said, Listen, make the decision, make the choice, it's yours, stand and stand or fall by it. And, um, I, I, and yeah, I think that's really, really important because then you, you can then take ownership of that a wee bit, right? You turn and say, Right, no, I'm leaving home, packing my bags, gone, next stage of my life. And, um, I, yeah, and we do that with the young kids at Doncaster, you know, we've just had some really difficult conversations with the second years who are not getting pros and the under-16s who are not getting scholarships. So you say, listen, there's no good way to give bad news, but you say, listen, these are the options that are open to you. And the options that are open to some of these kids now are incredible compared to my day, right? So they can go off to America, they can go to university, they can go and do this, they can go and do all sorts of... Now, you've seen it at Boston. We've seen guys, I can tell you now, a lad who used to play for us at Boston is now assistant head coach at Virginia State University. Right, so... Incredible, right? And he's only in his mid twenties. So yeah, Cookie, it's a great point. It's it, you take ownership, and it's up to you. And if you fail, you fail, right? But you just dust yourself off and go on with, it and just go on with life. Awesome. No, it's a good bit of advice as well. <clears throat> at least there's at least there's an exit route. It was obviously back in the day. It was probably more a bit cutthroat. If you didn't, you had to you had to move on to something else. There is other avenues to uh, explore. Um, so. You uh, you serve in the army. Um, how did it come about? You becoming a a pro footballer. Where was the where was the link there? Because you well, I've got it down here. You played for a team called Wimborne Town. Yeah. Was, was, I, I, was that a very brief spell? Yeah, I'm guessing. Was, I I was I was playing for the combined services, and it just so happened that the the, the coach of the combined service was a guy, uh, Chris Brady, Commander Brady. He was he was a coach at. Um, a team called Fairham Town near Portsmouth, right? Uh, non-league. So I get invited down to play for them. So I'd be playing for the army and combined services during the week. But on a Saturday, I went there and a bit of pocket money, going and playing non-league football. 
So by the time I was uh, 19, I'm playing, I guess it's Conference North or Conference South, what the, what the first team are in, yeah. the first team are in at the minute. I'm playing that at 19 years of age. And um, as it was, I was, I'd done that for a couple, I went for the, they then moved to Basingstoke and I went, I followed them to Basingstoke Town and I had a season and a half at Basingstoke. But I was coming up from, so I had some exams coming up, trade exams. And uh, my boss pulled me in at work and he said, listen, you're gonna have to, something's going to have to give here. You're going to have to cut back on something, whether it's, and I, I, I'm not allowed to cut back your military football, so I'm going to have to cut back your civilian football. So there was a little take, there was a team down the road, Wimborne Town. Um, they were literally 10 miles down the road for the, the, the barracks. And they phoned, they phoned me up, or they got in touch with me and said, listen, would you like to come and play here? You don't have to travel to away games. You just play Saturday. You don't have to train. Just turn up on a Saturday and play. Uh, and I went, aye, all right. And I, I literally went, and I might, I might have played half a season, maybe half a season for Wimborne before I came out of the army. Um, and I just play, I play home games uh, and the odd away game and things like that. Um, was it? Was, did, it did an offer come in after the Wimborne? Did you get picked up from Wimborne? Yeah, no, I was playing. Yeah, I was playing. Um, I was playing for Wimborne. I was obviously playing for the army and the combined services. Uh, and it just so happens that I was playing for the army one evening at, at Dagenham. We're playing against Essex, um, and John Beck and Chris Turner were in the stand. They were both. A, Chris Turner was a Cambridge manager at the time. They were in the stand watching the game, um, and I get a phone call one afternoon. I'm on really, really lucky actually. I'm on guard. I'm guard commander, right? And the phone goes one Sunday afternoon, and it's John Beck. He says, I'm looking for a guy called Steve Welsh. I went, that's me, I. All right, okay, you play for the army. I says, I says, listen, I'm John Beck. I'm assistant manager at Cambridge. Would you mind, do you fancy coming up for a week's trial? Now, I was very fortunate, was very, very fortunate. Um, I played in a very, very good army and combined services team, right? And a very, very good Royal Signals team. Very good. Um, won a lot of things. Uh, but in my army team, there was five guys five guys left the army and around the same time as each other to turn pro. So right. it was, I, a guy called Mickey Cheatham, he was the first one out in our group. He went to Ipswich and then subsequently went to Cambridge. I then came out, uh, I went to Cambridge and then went on. Uh, there was a lad called Matt Carmichael who went to play for Lincoln. A lad called Mickey Spencer who went to play for Yeovil. And then probably the big high profile one, the one that everybody kind of knows, is a lad called Guy Whittingham. The guy went on to play, he's, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, he's, I think he's Portsmouth's record goal scorer in a year. Right. And he went on to play for Villa, Sheffield Wednesday, Wolves. Had a really good career guy, really good goal scorer. So they, us five kind of, within about a year or so, all left the army uh, to go in and, and, try and, and, try and try our hand at professional football. So it was... It was really lucky. I, I went across. I what, think. What was the, what was the transition like? Sorry, Steve. What was the transition like of going from an, like playing in a really good combined service army side to go and play with John Beckett Cambridge? Was it sort of same standard in your eyes? Oh, it's, it's very different. Very different. I mean, I I regarded myself. I thought I was quite a fit lad in the army. And yeah. Blah, blah. Even within the army team, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm one of the I'm one of the fitter ones. And you turn up to turn up to pro pro training, and it's just completely different. It's completely different, right? Yeah. It probably took me. I joined. I left. I joined Cambridge in the January, 
And it probably took me to the end of the pre-season the following year to really get to grips with it. Right, yeah. it was, uh, but I joined, you've got to remember, I joined a very good Cambridge side. Right, they had people like um, Liam Daish, not to play for Ireland, Phil Chapel, not to play for Charlton, um, Lee Philpott, Leicester, Dion Dublin, Man United, John right. Taylor, Luton Town, um, you know, guys who went on in a good Premier League careers, right, or top flight careers. So they were a right good side, and we. I joined them in the January. We got promoted at Wembley on the in the June to go into the which which is now League One. And then we won League One the following year. We won it. Um so and then then and then the following year, I left them and went to Peterborough. The following year, they got to the playoff semi-final to get to the Premier League. And Le- Le- Leicester beat them, Leicester beat them in the semi-final, and it was the year Blackburn came up with Kenny Douglas. So right. it was. It were, we were Cambridge were a right good side, very really good players, very very well drilled and extremely fit, yeah. extremely fit. So it suited me that kind of disciplinarian style that John Beck instilled at, at, at Cambridge suited me. But you just you think you're fit, but there's a different level of fitness. It's, it's different. It's just a different type of fitness, and it just I'm, takes a bit of time to get there. I'm looking down the list of obviously the, the teams, which we'll we'll, we'll cover um, each one in a minute, and. You know, you did a lot of travelling, uh, especially you was going backwards and forwards to one place. <laughs> you was going England, Scotland, England. Um, what is it like for someone in <clears throat> in the pro game to, you know, up and leave, join new teams? Um, you know, you got to find houses. Was the was the clubs or was it finding stuff for you, for, for accommodation, or was that down to you yourself? Um, how was it back then? Because obviously, a lot of things are done for footballers nowadays. Yeah, I mean, listen, the biggest thing, <coughs> my, the biggest challenge for me, Lou, was the day I drove out the army camp. I yeah. left on a Friday, um, and everything I owned was in the back of a Vauxhall Astra, right? My, my quilt, my quilt cover, my stereo, my telly, right? All my clothes. Well, where am I going here, right? And when you go up to a flat, we had, the, the club gave me a flat um, in, in Cambridge, and I was, I left in the January, I was getting married in the summer. So, um, the uh, so that was quite that was traumatic. I never had to pay a bill in my life, right? Because everything was taken care of me in the army. I had to buy food. I'd never had to buy food before. I'm thinking, right? And I had to cook it myself, right? Because my what my wife would or my fiance at the time she'd come down at the weekend. She'd cook all my food, stick it in the fridge. Right? There's Monday. There's Tuesday. There's Wednesday. Right? <laughs> so, right? Saturday night when she well, Friday night when she came back to see us again, she travelled to see me, stay with me. I was absolutely hanging Marvin by the time she got in. <laughs> so <laughs> it was really strange. But yeah, listen, when you move like that, up and down, up and down, it is it's a big thing. It's a big thing. There's a lot to take into consideration. And the clubs are generally, but even back then, I'm I'm, I'm sure it's even better now, but they're quite you know, you used to get some sort of relocation allowance within your contract that paid for all your removals and all that and they try to make it as smooth as possible but they wanted you up there they want wherever they wanted you yeah. there the very next day and your wife or fiance or whatever they had to follow eventually family they have to follow and it's it, it takes a bit of settling in it takes a bit of settling in but i've done it enough times so i should have been i should have been used to it <laughs> yeah i was looking at the list and i thought yeah you move quite a bit um so from cambridge you go on to uh peterborough which mm. i know firsthand what Peterborough uh, think of you 
because I was at a Boston game one time when you got brought onto the pitch and wow, stand innovation, uh, noise level. Uh, I, I think it was the same day they brought out Ken Charlery and Ken, poor old Ken got booed by the Boston fans and you came and he was like a hero. Um, so how was your time at Peterborough? Again, on obviously another move, probably not too far, Cambridge to Peterborough, but you made 146 appearances and scored two goals, which looking down the list here, you didn't score many. <laughs> almost almost scored as many own goals as I scored goals, I think. So, um, yeah, no, listen, I'd, I have I had a fantastic time at Peterborough United uh, and I've got a real soft spot for the club. Um, and you, as you do when you're successful somewhere, you know what I mean? So, uh, Chris Turner was the manager. He was the manager that bought me out the army at Cambridge. And my, my, my contract was up at Cambridge and they'd made me another offer. And I, I, I just didn't, didn't want to, I, I needed something else. Um, the army had given me 18 months. When I left the army, the army said to me, go, we'll let you have your contract at Peterborough, uh, sorry, at Cambridge. Uh, if it doesn't work out, you can come back in the army. It's not a problem, so you've got that safety net. Uh, and I sat down and I remember it was all summer. We'd, um, Bosman wasn't out there, so the club had control of you, right? So there was no Bosman ruling at this time. So... If the club offered you a contract, you were you were knackered, right? So um, I went down to see John Beck, and um, there's a story attached to that, but I'll maybe come to that later on. But uh, he's he wouldn't he would, he offered me a contract, and he doesn't want to sell me, right? He doesn't want me to go, and I'm, it's close season, and I'm, I've had enough of it. Me, right? I phoned the club. It's Becky, and he'll be in Monday morning, right? I'm coming down Monday morning. So I'm we're married now, right? I'm living in Telford. And an army quarter because my wife is still in the army, and um, so I've driven, set off six o'clock in the morning, gets myself to Cambridge. I'm in a car park at nine o'clock waiting for Becky. He's not turned in. I thought, right, okay. I tell you what, I'll go to my, but this time. I'll go to my digs and pick up some stuff from my digs. So I'll go to my digs, get a few things, get a bit of breakfast, come back. But half eleven, still no in. Right, okay. So I'm sitting, go keep myself busy. He rolls in about two o'clock in the afternoon, and by this time. The red mist is, you know, I'm, uh, the bolt's about to come out the neck, right? And um, I walk in, I says, listen, I want I want to go. I want to go. I've got an offer for Kettering. I've got an offer for Peterborough. And uh, and he sat back. This is this will take you, it shows you how long ago it was. He sat back in his big chair and he's reading Shoot magazine, right? Or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he said, he says, yeah, yeah, and I flew him. I just flew him. And I've, I've kind of straddling him. I'm, <laughs> I'm swinging punches at him, right? And he's trying to protect himself. And the groundsman's had to come in and drag me off. And he's he's turning around, and, he, and I won't swear, but he's saying, you'll never play for another league club in this country, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, and I'm, my eyes are bulging. I said, I'll rip your neck off. Oh. Anyway, I'm going mad. Anyway. Steve, a- Steve, what you're saying is actually going in, in um, palm of the lads' hands, what they've been saying about you. Just, just uh, the red mist came down, right? The, the, the red mist came down, and um, and uh, I went. Uh, uh, anyway, I cut a long story short. I managed to get, I managed to get rid, and Peter Bray United phoned me up, took me down, had a chat with Peter Bray United. The bizarre thing is, John Beck tried to sign me three times after that. On three different occasions, he's tried to sign me, even though I had a fight with him in his office. So um, he was. He was, listen. Don't people say people can say what they want about John Beck? John Beck was really, really organised thought ahead of his time in many ways. Um, he may not have liked his style of play, 
but he was he prepped his teams very very well and he was very very detailed in what he done. You know, really, he was right into video analysis before when, yeah. when video tapes were like kind of that size, right? He was into video analysis, um, so he was way ahead of his time in many ways. And he was good uh, to play for. He was he, he, he taught you real, he set real high standards. And uh, so when I went to Peterborough with Chris Turner, Chris Turner was very very similar. He was an ex defender as well, which helped me an awful lot. Uh, he was an ex centre half, and he would work with me and spent a lot of time with me. Um, and honing your sort of defensive skills and things like that, and and I, I was very fortunate again, really lucky. I joined a very good side in Peterborough, some really good players, some really good. Yeah. Players. So you you you're there for the, uh, three three years. Uh, it's looking here on my notes, and in '94 they Peterborough send you out on loan to Preston North End, but you didn't play, did you, at Preston? Yeah. I, 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 yeah, we went, we had a new gaffer come in, right? John Still came in um, right. as a gaffer. And um, and uh, he, he brought in he brought in two lads. He brought in Greg Heald and Gary Breen, <coughs> the centre-halves, alongside myself, right? I had another year left of my contract, you see, so he kind of inherited me. And I always got the impression that he wanted to play Greg and Gary together. Both good players. I mean, Gary Breen went on and played for Coventry. And, yeah, and I remember. Ireland. Good player, good player, right? Um, and Greg and Greg was a good player and was a great lad. So it was the three of us vying for the centre half. And I always got the impression he wanted to play the two of them together. But I started the season really quite well, uh, and he couldn't really he couldn't really drop me. Um, and then get injured, we got a wee knock. Not much was it for a couple of weeks. Um, but the two lads went in, and, and to credit to the two lads, they done really well, right? So I'm then having to wait my turn to get back in again, like you do, right? And just at this point. Um, uh, Chris Turner, the chairman, called me up to his office. Chris Turner was now the chairman of the club. Um, he was my old gaffer. He pulled me up and he said, listen, Preston have come in for you. They want to take you up for a month's loan. John Beck was the manager at Preston. I went, aye, okay. So I thought, bit odds, right? So I goes up to Preston and I spend a month at Preston. But unbeknownst to me, they had an FA Cup game against Blackpool. And uh, that was the... I missed, the, I missed the Saturday game and we had F... But no, the, the game was put off because of bad weather, that's it. And it was put on to a midweek, eve, a midweek game. And uh, at Preston, Preston Blackpool's a big game, right? Yeah. Um, but 24 hours before the game, I get the call for Peterborough. They don't want me to play in the FA Cup. So I'm, I can't play. So they put a guy called Stevie Holmes in instead. Stevie Holmes went on and played for Lincoln. And I actually played with Stevie Holmes later on in my career. And Stevie Holmes went in and had an absolute blinder. He had a, he had a great game. He was, I think he was man of the match. Yeah. His debut as well. A great game. So he then played, and I'm on loan and I'm not getting a game. <coughs> um, yeah. But Becky's come to me. He, I'm going to train. It was the last week of my loan. Um, and I was training between Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday off. And he pulled me into his office on Tuesday. He says, listen, well, she said, I want to offer you a contract at Preston. I want you to finish this year and two more years. I went, right, okay. He says, there's the offer. And he just had it in a bit of paper. There's the offer. Go and chat to your wife about it. So I, get, I, I goes outside the office, looks at it, picks the phone up. Paula, get Pickford's on the phone. We're off-ski. <laughs> We're off-ski. We're gone. Right, it was a right deal. 
I thought, right, we're going here. I get us down the road, to, uh, Peter, uh, back home to Peterborough, shows my wife, she goes, oh, listen, I've got to move for that. I can get a job up there, no bother. Right. Goes back up Thursday morning, and we're all sitting in the changing room waiting for John Beck to come in. And uh, somebody comes in, one of the secretaries comes in, she goes, uh, the chairman wants everybody upstairs in, in, the, di in the dining room. Okay. We all walk upstairs. Becky's been sacked. <laughs> Becky's been sacked. And you're like, what? Gary, Gary Peters took over. And there was three of us, there was three lads who were in on loan at the time. Uh, and he pulled the three of us into the office and went, listen, guys, I've got to send you back to your host clubs. Um, the chairman said, I've got to clear the decks. So I went back to Peterborough. Um, and I'd missed out in the deal. I thought, you're joking. It was a right deal as well. So, goes back to Peterborough, played a couple of games, and then pulled in. Again, I, guess, I think it was about, in the, about November now, and they, they pulled me in, chairman pulled me in again. He said, listen, I've had two offers in for you. He says, Partick Thistle in Bournemouth. And I went, really? Where did Partick Thistle come from? That, that one's come right out of nowhere. Right? And he went, and I thought about going back to, but I thought about going to Bournemouth. Mel Machen was in charge at Bournemouth, and I know Mel had liked me. Um, and I thought about going back to Bournemouth because that's where my I was in the army, so I was familiar with that part of the world. I thought no, but the chance Patrick Thistle, Scottish Premier League, it's got to be worth a dabble that, isn't it? So I goes up. They asked me to go up and play a behind closed doors game. I went up. I played against Celtic at Celtic's training ground, um, and I don't know right. And then they asked me to come back the following week, and it was just before Christmas. I remember it distinctly because we played Blackpool in Black at Blackpool behind closed doors, and because we, we played Blackpool, and as soon as the Black as soon as the game was finished, the Blackpool lads were out in their Christmas night out. They were off skiing, right? So um, I turns up in this hotel. Wait, this one, right? I turns up to this hotel. I've been told to report to this hotel on Monday night in Blackpool. Well, my God. Uh, I mean, we all know Blackpool, right? And there's some good places and there's some not-so-good places, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, turn up to this hotel, I turns up to this hotel, right? Guest house, whatever it was. The guy who opens the door has got one eye, right? right? He's got a limp, right? <laughs> got a limp, one eye, dragging everything. Right? He says, ah, you've got your name here. Go into this room, right? And it's pouring with rain, I'll never forget. And he's put me in this room. There's no central heating. He says, I'll bring you another quilt up in case you need it, <laughs> And the windows are shaking like that, they're rattling away, and absolutely freezing. I was freezing cold, right? And I couldn't wait to get up in the morning of something, something hot inside me to eat. I get up for breakfast, and this one guy, he's, he's doing everything. He's the one guy, he's doing everything. He's cooking, he's cleaning, he's tidying up. He's got a fag in his mouth cooking a cooked breakfast and all that, right? <laughs> and I look at all the lads, and they've been out in the lash. They've been out on it. On the Monday night in Blackpool, they're steaming. Some of them are still drunk. We're, <laughs> still, we're about to play Blackpool behind closed doors at lunchtime. What is this all about? So we play the game, come back, everything goes all right. Listen, we're going to try and speak to Peter, but I see if we can get a deal organised. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Um, and then that was it, really. I never heard anything for about a week. And it was Christmas Eve, gospel truth, right? Christmas Eve. My wife's preparing everything for Christmas dinner. I get a phone call, deal's done, need you in Glasgow tomorrow. You're going to need you to sign tomorrow, Christmas Day, you're training at Partick Thistle, Christmas Day, get yourself up the road. So we literally packed Christmas presents. Um, Christmas dinner. 
Hoff a coot, hoff a coot turkey, <laughs> shove it all in the car, bosh, off we go, right on the new one. And uh, to my mum's house in Glasgow. So we stayed at my mum's. Yeah. I literally trained Christmas morning with Partick Thistle, signed all the paperwork, it got through, and we played at Tyne Castle on Boxing Day. No, awesome. As quick as that. As quick as that. Hey, Cookie, what do you think of that? That's brilliant. That, that, that is how times have changed. Never go to a restaurant where someone's doing everything, especially with a fag in the mouth. Oh, it was that's, that's a, <laughs> a lesson in life. Um, party, how, how good was that for you? You know, Partick Thistle, Scottish Prem, the chances in which you already played against them anyway, playing against your boy or team in Celtic. Um, you know, must have been a dream come true, right? That's at that time. I took it. I took the chair. I took the choice because it, it was. You're right, Lou. It was a. I could have probably got more money going to Bournemouth, if I'm being honest with you, right? But I, I just couldn't. I couldn't knock this opportunity back, right? To go and play right. top flight, and you go there with a clean slate. Nobody knows you, and I think that that helped me. Right? Nobody yeah. knew. Nobody knew anything about me. No expectations of me or anything like that. I just turned up and just tried to be myself. Um, it, it was very different. It was very different to be playing in England. At Just to confirm, John, John Beck wasn't the manager, was he? No, no, no. There was a with a guy who, God rest his soul, he's, he's left his new John Lambie. He just died this last year. Um, I, I, if you think John Beck was mad, this guy was this guy was like John Beck on speed. This guy was a nutter, an absolute nutter. But yeah, I loved it. I, I loved yeah. him. I, I would run through a brick wall for him. Right, he was just a madman, um, but we, but it, it, what he done is we were bought with the. I mean, I joined Partick Thistle. We were bought in the league Boxing Day, and traditionally, if you're bought in the league Boxing Day, you're going down, right? But he brought in a load of players. He brought in myself. He brought in a lad called Nicky Walker, ex Rangers keeper. He brought in, um, he brought in a couple of. They brought a lad, Rod McDonald for Walsall. Um, he brought in Tam Turner for St Mum. He brought in a couple of good, good players. Good, yeah. strong players. And we went on a run of games. We went on a run of games that was unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Uh, and we managed to stay up. Uh, with our last three games of the season, we had to get four points. And we had Celtic away, Falkirk at home, Rangers away. And that was our last three games. And we had to pick up four points for them last three games. The, the fact that we got to that stage was remarkable. We were that, cut, we were that far adrift at Christmas. And we had an unbelievable run. Unbelievable one. Um, some great tales of how we got to win some of the games. Right, just, just mad, just mad. Was 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 it the Partick Thistle where um, your family wasn't too pleased with you tackling a certain somebody? Oh, that I that was when I played. I when I played it. Was that Celtic. was that Partick Thistle? Yeah, that, that's an odd story. That's a, it's, <laughs> we're playing Celtic. We're playing Celtic at um, at Firhill, right? And at this point. Celtic or Tommy Burns, God rest his soul, was in charge of Celtic. And Celtic were building a wee bit of momentum. You've got to remember at this time, and this will be reflected this later on when I show you the best of living, Rangers were winning everything. Right? A bit like Celtic have just done for the last nine years. The 90s belong to Rangers. Right? They won everything in front of them there. League titles, cups, semi-finals of the European Cup on a couple of occasions. Rangers were a right, a right good side, right? A right good side. <coughs> I does stick in my throat about that, as you said. But anyway, um, <laughs> but but uh, they were a right good side, and um, but Celtic were starting to catch them a wee bit. Celtic were starting, we're on, 
had a wee bit of momentum. They'd signed um, a couple of players. They'd signed George Cadet for Portugal. Uh, they'd got in uh, Van Ho- Pierre Van Hoydonk for Holland. Um, and they were starting to build a real bit of momentum. They looked at they were a really good side to play. They played some great football. Uh, but we're, we're playing Celtic at Hill. And all my mates, all my family, can you get us tickets? Can you get us tickets? I've got a couple of mates who work in the post office. I have many tickets. I need 50 tickets. Oh, what? 50 tickets? <laughs> you manage to get, get all the tickets for them, right? And they all come down. Where are we sitting? Where are we? This is coming down on a Friday. Where are we sitting? Going to sit there. Going to sit there. Okay. So they're sitting in the stand. They're playing. And the game's going on. And anyway, we've come at the edge of the box. And I'm, I'm so left-hand side of the box, just outside the box. And... Cadet's got the ball at his feet, right? And he's turned and I've, I've, I've tackled him, right? I went, and he's went, Portuguese guys, they go down. You're breathing him, right? And he's squealing like a pig, right? The next thing I know, I'm stood astride him and I've picked him up like that. I've dragged him, I've picked him up off the floor. And then I look up and the stand and there's all my family gone. <laughs> all my family and my friends, you know, throwing things at me, pointing stuff at me. As soon as the game's finished, Lou, can you get the wee man? Can you get the wee man in the players' lounge? Can you get us in the players' lounge? An hour before that, they're throwing things at me. Thank you, thank you. That's crazy. Crazy, mate. Crazy. Crazy. So it's it's just a different experience. It's 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 a different experience. We had some we had some great times. We we played Rangers uh, at Furhill and as I say, Rangers are a right good side, and we drew one each with Rangers at Furrow, and it was a, for us, it was a magnificent, it was an unbelievable result, right? We've drawn with Rangers, absolutely buzzing, because over, over the time I played up there, I took some beatings off of Rangers, right? Took yeah. some beatings. We beat, we drawn with Rangers one each, and we're ab- the boys are in the changing room, we're absolutely buzzing, right? And uh, the gaffers come in, he went, right, you up, nine o'clock tomorrow, make sure you're in tomorrow morning, nine o'clock, ten o'clock, Boys are like, oh, gaffer, are we chase yourself right in the nicest possible way? Wait, no chance, no chance. He says, if you're not in it, if you're not in at 10 o'clock tomorrow, I'm taking two weeks' wages off you. 10 o'clock tomorrow at the ground. So you go, you know, you know, half the lads are on it, right? They're on it and they're on it all night, right? So we come in the next day, and sure enough, everybody's turned in somewhere in somewhere in all right state, somewhere in a terrible state. <laughs> behind, behind, just behind Farhouse Ground, as a, a public park called Rock Hill Park, and it's literally just one big hill, right? It's like a big hill. So <laughs> we we go for a jog around Rock Hill Park. Next thing we know, he's got these tires with ropes on them, right? And we're, you've got to put the rope in your chest, and you've got to run up the hill, dragging these tires on a Sunday morning, right? And, and the boys, some of the boys are, some of the boys are still drunk. I go, Gaffer, Gaffer, what are you doing? The Gaffer stood there with a big cigar on, right? Always the big cigar on and a cup of coffee. He's pissed, right? <laughs> go up, go up the hill, go up the hill, go up the hill. You're up doing the hill. The boys are, boys are going mental. He pulls you in afterwards, right? He says, right, Sunday morning, if I see anybody in the football club between now and Thursday, I'm taking two weeks' wages off you. Disappear. And you go, what? What? So if I see Andy at the football club between now and Thursday, disappear. You're gone. You've had two weeks' wages. Right, okay, we turn in Thursday morning. I swear to you, Lou, if we'd trained for an hour, I would be surprised. Trained th- Tuesday, mo- Friday morning, we trained 40 minutes. 
see you later. Played on the Saturday, won on the Saturday. Right? And the one thing that taught me, Lou, it's not all about ability, right? It's about, it is about man management and it's about building relationships with people and players, right? If you can get a good relationship with your players, right, and you can get to know your players and what makes your players tick, that's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. And I think that's why people like Jurgen Klopp and Guardiola are so good. Are they, yeah. are they good coaches? Yeah, they're good coaches. But what they're really, really good at is forming relationships with people, right? And uh, and, and I think and you could, well, I'm not going to say Stephen Gerrard, but Stephen Gerrard must be pretty good at it because he's done what he's done at Rangers. Yeah. Um, I, th- I, think, I think the main person, what, what I noticed, where they, knowing your players and ha- having that, that they knew <clears throat> what line not to cross was Mourinho at Chelsea, I, you know, with the Lampards and Terry's and stuff. I, you know, it's like, hold on a minute. You, you've, you're actually seen a guy put an arm around a player and joke about with him and stuff. Whereas, you know, me being a United supporter, it was very much Sir Alex here, players here. He says, you, if he says jump, you say how high, you know. And I, I agree with you, Lou. But I think once you get, I've, I've, been, I've been fortunate enough to be uh, in a couple of conferences with Sir Alex Ferguson, right, during my coaching career. And yeah. actually, when you when you get down and you talk to players, he had a really good relationship. I mean, the old yeah. story about Cantona, but you can't, you just, you're in the dressing room and he turns to Cantona, you can't do that, son. Right? <laughs> but he treated everybody as individuals. He had a really good relationship with individual players and he knew it made players tick. I'm guessing Mourinho yeah. done the same at Chelsea, as you say. Klopp's done it. You know, um, obviously Guardiola's done it. These good, the good managers are, are, yeah. are very, very good at that. Very good at that. And that, John Lambie taught me that. John Lambie said it was not always about. It was about getting into your players' mind, which your players tick. And you know, other time, you know, we've just beat, we've just drawn the Rangers, and he hammers us the next day and gives us a few days off because he knew how to manage his players. He knew he knew that I wouldn't sit and do nothing. He knew I'd go to the gym or I'd go out running. Yeah, and he knew that the older players like needed that rest. They needed that rest yeah. for a few days, and he would get the better at them. So it's really clever stuff, really clever. And whether he'd done that knowingly or whether he'd done that, it was just intuition. I don't know, but it was it was he was very very good at that, very good at that. Now, awesome stuff. Um, from <clears throat> from Partick Thistle, um, you know, I was playing in Scottish Prem. You then you go back to Peterborough. Um, again, um, obviously you know you know the area quite well. Um, then you make the move to Dunfermline, uh, make seventeen appearances, so you've come back back up to Scotland. Yeah. Um, Air United, you made the jump there. You made yeah. twenty four appearances, and apparently, according to your, which as I said off off camera, I don't tend to believe a lot of stuff on Wikipedia, but apparently you scored a classic goal against Queens Park. At Hampton oh, Park, that's that, right. Somebody's put that on. Listen, Lou, when you score four goals in your career, everyone's a classic, right? Was it, yeah. was it a tap in? Pretty much. <laughs> 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 when you score four goals in a so professional you're, career, you're you, Glenn didn't write this Wikipedia page, did he? No, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, no idea. But no, I scored. Um, I was. I, I scored two goals for Posh. I scored a goal for Partick Thistle, and I scored a goal for United at Hamden. Yeah. Uh, in the first round of the League Cup on a sa- sunny Saturday afternoon in July when there's about 350 people watching or something. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I went to Dunfermline 
the film was good. Um, Scottish Premier League again, some again some really good experiences. A couple of injuries at Dunfermline, which, which didn't help. Uh, kind of made my did you, did you start to struggle with injuries as you as you got older? Not really. I I, I had an, an injury when I signed for Dunfermline. I was actually carrying an injury the day, I, and they knew about it when I signed. Right. I was carrying an ankle injury, and it just lingered a little bit longer than I thought it was going to be. Um, so I had a, I had a bit of a stop start time. I'd have a flurry of games at Dunfermline, and then I'd maybe pick an injury up, and then I, I, if I was going to play at Dunfermline, I'd probably play a dozen games, and then there'd be a break, and then there'd be another eight or nine games and things like that. So it was a bit broken up. Um, I got a move. I went to Air United. I took Air United um, because uh, it was pre-season and the, and the gaffer said to me, listen, I, I, I got injured right, I get injured in pre-season, right at the end of pre-season I'd get injured um, and I'd recovered. Uh, but So I wasn't going to start the season with Unfermline. The gaffer said, listen, Air United have come in, they want to take you for a month. But worthwhile going out there and getting some football. I went brilliant. Just let me yeah. go. I went out. I done well, and then Air United called me and said, "Listen, we want you to stay for the season." And I went right, okay, um, and, and and done, and and, and that's, that was agreed. I, I took, a, I signed a two-year deal with Air. Uh, so I had only a year left with Dunfermline. Signed a two-year deal with Air. Very fortunate again. Uh, the chairman at Air United was, was quite a wealthy man, so it was it was not a bad deal. It worked out well for me. Um, and I had, and we almost got promoted there. We almost we, yeah. we get pipped to promotion. Hibs beat us by a couple of points, um, uh, and it was. It, it, I really enjoyed it. The, the one thing I learned at Air United was one of my coaches, a guy called Ian Monroe. Gordon DL was a manager again, very very good at forming relationships with players. He was really good with me, um, and he's. And, but Ian Monroe was the coach, and Ian Monroe was amazing right I think over the whole season I think he maybe duplicated a session twice right his knowledge of the game and his his knowledge not just of putting sessions on but what what learning to draw out of those sessions he was an ex-teacher as well he played even though he played for Rangers he played for Scotland played for Sunderland so he knew the game but he was an ex-teacher and that 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 intrigued me right Um, I remember I used to write down sessions anybody had a book I've still got it. Um, and if somebody put a good session on, I would write the session down um, and just keep it. I'm telling you, when I come back, Air United, every every day I was put, I was writing a session. Brilliant. Brilliant. He was, he was like an encyclopedia. Yeah. Uh, Many was brilliant. So he was a real influence in me. As far as coaching's concerned, he was a real influence in me. He made me look at things very, very differently to what I was looking at them. Um, but I remember being up Started the second season with Air. It was we done, done the seat, played the season, um, and then we were up in up in the Highlands for pre-season friendly. Uh, I think we played Fraserburgh, and then the next day, I'm coming down for breakfast, and the gaffers pulled me. Gordon Dales pulled me. He said, "Listen, Lincoln, I've come in for you." I went, "What?" He said, "Lincoln, I've come in for you." I said, "Where's that one come from?" He went, "We've made a phone call. They'd like to have a chat with you." She's gaffer, I'm really happy here. I was really enjoying my football at this time, right? With a good wee side at here. He says, he said to me, Well, she, I'm going to be honest with you, this is the last year. I says, What do you mean? He says, The old man is going to fund this year, the chairman's going to fund this year, then he's pulling his money. He says, You've, wow. only, got a year. You've only got a year left in your contract. He says, My advice is go and have a chat with Lincoln. 
have a chat with them, see what they've got to say. He says, he says, you've always got this to fall back on. He says, but I'm, you know, you're an older, you're at this time, you're an older pro now. You got a lot of respect for you. He says, but after this year, there will not be any contract for you next year. I tell you that now. He says, we might even go part time next year. I went right, okay. So I went down. Uh, I left. I left a little calling card for the lads, but I'm, I'm maybe talking to you about that off screen. Um, <laughs> a calling card for the lads as I left the hotel that day, um, <laughs> and uh, I went down and I literally took the train from Aberdeen straight down to straight down to Newark. Um, picked my wife up on the way down in the train, Bosch, and we went straight down to Lincoln. Had a chat with Lincoln, and and pretty much decided there and then that was that was my next move. Yeah, so. Basically, you're um, <clears throat> you're playing career. It, I had it down here that you you went to Lynn, but I don't think you played there, did you? Or uh, Kings Lynn? Did you go to Kings Lynn? Yeah. When I when I retired for Lincoln, when I yeah. retired for Lincoln, I, I, I was at, I was I hung him up. I wasn't playing, and a good mate of mine who I played with, Peter, a guy called Tony Spearin, uh, Spearin phoned me up and said, "Listen, you couldn't do me a favour, could you?" And I went, "What's that?" He says, "Um, could you come and play for Kings Lynn for the season?" And I went, I'm, I don't know, Spiro, I've, I've just hung them up. He says, I just need you for a season. I've got a young side. I just need somebody who can sort of guide them through it. And I went, I'll come down and have a chat with you. He says, I promise you. I'm a, and I'm literally, this is the truth, I'd retired and we were about to take our first family holiday in August. Because you take all your holidays of football, you take it in June, don't you? Yeah. So we're all quite excited. We're going away for a fortnight's holiday. With a, with a family, with kids by this time, right? We're going away in August like normal people do, right? And we're <laughs> quite excited about it. And uh, he said to us, he says, come on down and have a chat with me. He says, I'll make it worth your while. I went, all right. So I, I drive down to Kings Lynn and uh, I chat with him and he says, so will you come and say, I said, I don't know, Spiro. I've, 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 I've got a new job now. I'm kind of coaching now, blah, blah, blah. He says, here. And he handed me an envelope. The chairman stood there. The chairman handed me an envelope with a £1,000 on it. He went, here, here's some spending money for your holiday. And I went, okay, I'll go on a piece of paper, I'll sign that. <laughs> so, 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 for the season, right? Cheap date, right? Cheap date. Give uh, me a thousand pound an envelope, right? I said, there you go. I said, right, okay, I'm off. Back to the wife and went, okay, I've got an extra, extra, get you a nice ring or something like that for your holiday. Anyway, so it was good. I, I went and spent, didn't play a lot of games with Kingsland. Um, I've, I played, I was right, when I retired, you were asking about injuries. I was very, very fortunate, Lou. I had, had a two car, I had a cartilage operation when I was at Lincoln. Um, kept me out for a wee bit, not for more, not for long. But right at the end of my playing career, I was starting to have problems with my, my Achilles on my right foot. Uh, and I went to Kings Lynn. And of course, at that time, you'd stop training every day of the week. So you're training twice a week. And then my Achilles was getting worse and worse. I, I was kind of getting through games just. And um, in the end, I had to go and see a guy. I've seen Keith Oakes, a physio at Lincoln, where I was yeah. working at the time. He said, listen, you need to go and see somebody about my Achilles. Uh, and I ended up going to a guy, seeing a guy in Birmingham. They sent me through to see a guy in Birmingham. And a guy done a scan it. And he says, listen, I'm going to have to operate on your Achilles. Um there's us, you've got all you've got loads of cysts growing around your Achilles, and if they burst, they're gonna burn through your tendon. So you had to open I've got the scar right down the back of my ankle now. Um and they, they sort of they scraped away all the cysts 
and then sewed, it, sewed me back up again. But he said, by this time, I'm 35, 35, 35. And he says, listen, the recovery for this is going to be a long time. Achilles, are the blood flow is not as good as it should be, certainly at your age. Um, and I got I had the operation, I think, in the October. October, I had the operation, and I probably didn't kick a ball again until the March. Right? And then that's, and, you know, and, and to be fair to King's Lynn, I said, listen, don't pay me. Don't pay me any money. Don't pay me any money. Because I'm yeah. not going to play. I'm not going to get to play for you. I'll come up and I'll watch the games and I'll try and rehab with you. But I, I kept turning up and I kept watching the games for the season. Um, yeah. But once it, once once I had the operation, I knew that was me. That was me finished definitely. So. And to sign be, on, to, to sign off on to that, obviously it now links into the uh, the coaching career. Um, so whilst you was at. Um, <clears throat> the red and white team down the road, which we don't like to say on off script too many times, but um, you was appointed uh, football and community officer um, at Lincoln. He was manager of the under 16 centre of excellence side. And during the time as well, you was also manager of Spalding where you managed Martin Cookie's boss, obviously Nick Reeson and uh, a fellow coach of ours in Jay Lawrence. Mm. Um, that's, that's how I first, apart from meeting you on my first ever coaching badge, uh, there was you, there was Coots and yourself. You did my assessment, uh, which you may remember, may not. Um, you know, you, I, I knew of you through them guys saying that they was playing for you and uh, and whatnot. And I, I think you potentially uh, was going to play for Spalding if they were short, but only if they were short. Um, and then comes 2005, where... Um, you joined as a first team coach at Boston. How did that come about? And during at that time, was that for Mr. Evans? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. You've, you've, you're, you're quite accurate in what you've done there. I I took over at Spalding. I would started my coaching career, if you want to call it that, when I was at Dunfermline. Right. Um, I started doing my coaching badges, and the guys in the youth department at Dunfermline were really keen for me to get involved. Uh, and I used to go and coach there under 14s and a couple of nights a week. So I was I'd dipping my toe in probably in my, my late 20s and really quite enjoying it. Um, so by the time I got to, and I'd retired, um, the Spalding job came up. Uh, I like the Grantham job came up. I went, to, I went and got interviewed for the Grantham job and got shortlisted, got down to the last two, didn't get it. And then about a week or so later, Spalding phoned me up Um and he said, listen, you come down for a chat. So I went down for a chat and he said, listen, the, the job's yours if you want it. So never done none. I'd never done, apart from my very early days when I was in the army, it's been a long time since I've been in, near non-league. So it was a real learning, real, real steep learning curve. And the Spalding traditionally are, how can I put, the, the chairman of Spalding was, how can I put it? He's a Walter Mitty character, and I think it's the best way to describe him, right? He was elusive, to say the least, right? And, you know, he promised he would pay players. I spent more time trying to solve problems with players because they had agreed one deal with the chairman, and then the chairman was paying them something else, and it was just yeah. it was a bit of a car crash, I'm going to be honest with you. It was a bit of a car crash. But the lads were great. The lads were good. Um, and and we'd done okay. we never done great. we done okay, right? Um, but the offer came out the blue. Um, Keith Alexander was the chairman. It was the manager at Gordressy Soul, was the manager at the Red and Whites up the road. 
Um, and he said, he pulled me in one day and he said, listen, Steve Evans has been on the phone to me at Boston. He said, he'd like to have a chat with you about doing some coaching through there. So, I'm all right. So I phoned, I, I met Steve Evans at the Dabsies, Um and he said to us, listen, I want you to come in. A bit, I want you to do a bit of coaching on the first team, but I really want you to look after the 18s as well. Or really what kind of a, a, a foot in both camps. Um, and I went, ah, that, sounds, that sounds great. That sounds great, blah, 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 with a chat about it. Um, and that was it really. It happened quite quickly. Yeah. It happened within that conversation with Steve Evans to actually appoint. And it was probably only about 10 days and I was in the building. Handed him a notice at Lincoln and then uh, and come away really come away and, uh, and and started for there. It was and it was it was very very different. It was very different. Yeah, a real challenge. It was a real learning curve. Real learning curve, uh, but something I really really enjoyed. Thoroughly enjoyed. Thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, and um, now I, I you know I've got fond memories of yourself coming in. Um, Obviously, there was a lot. There was a lot of turnover in staff players um, during the Evans days, anyway. But um, so Neil leaves. Uh, Neil Richardson leaves. Um, so obviously, Steve wants you to take on both the head of youth and still the first team um, first team coach gig. Um, and with that came obviously joining up with Bedford College Educational Scheme. Um, to obviously give these boys BTECs and different qualifications. Um, so again, you've gone from first team coach, taking on the, the football inside to now going into education as well. So a mixture of basically everything, what you can do within uh, our, our sector. Uh, how did you find, how did you find that, you know, going into now the teaching element? Because obviously coaching and teaching is two different things in, yeah. in, in that respect, so so what? How did you um, how did you feel about that at the time? It was, listen, Lou, uh, we it was very difficult time at the club. Yeah. It was a very difficult time. Um, you know, I count myself as being very very fortunate to spend ten years at Boston. Right, work with some very very good people, people who you would trust your life with. Right, yeah. Um, you know, just good people. Right, and. When we fell out the league, that that week we fell out the league. It, it was as if it, I, 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 I was, it felt really empty, right? Yeah. Uh, but I had I, my, the forefront of my mind is I wanted to keep this academy going. I wanted to keep the centre of excellence, as it was called the academies now. But I wanted to keep that going, and I knew we had two years, two years of funding for the kids. But I was looking longer term, and that's what you say. We spoke to Bedford yeah. College; they approached us. And uh, we tried to put a programme in place to, you know, we had to self-fund the Centre of Excellence, if you want to call it that. And we had to think of original ways of funding that. So, you know, it, it was a seven-day-a-week job. It was properly full-on, right, properly full-on. And it was like you're doing 78 hours a week without, without, without blinking. You were doing that because you had to do it because there's nobody else to do it. I remember the day... We had the meeting at York Street. You may have been there, Lou. Uh, yeah. yeah. The club was, you know, club was really a t- in a bad way. And John Blackwell uh, stood up and he spoke to the, the crowd at, at, at the stand. And I could hear, jo- I could hear in John's voice, 
the emotion in John's voice. He was, he was breaking up and he was yeah. cutting to the quick, you know. At that point, Barry Pierpoint was going to be our new saviour. Um, it was going to quite happen. But fortunate enough, in the stand that day, was the current chairman and vice chairman. Um, and uh, and when they came on board, it was a, it, we had to change the way we'd done everything. We had to change. And this thing about coaching and education, I've, I've done all my coaching badges, right? I've been very fortunate to do that. The thing that really opened my eyes is when we started to do the teaching qualifications, right? It's coaching is different to teaching, but there's a lot of things that, you, that can be, we can learn for each other. Yeah. And um, it's uh, it was a real eye. I really changed how I how I coached after doing my my teacher training calls. Mm. Really, really looked at it looked at it very differently. Um, and uh, it was, but those those days, those first few years, they were a real challenge. I mean, they're literally running the club was John and Maureen, Craig Singleton, probably Nick as well, Nick Leeson, myself. Yeah. There's a handful of people running the club, right? And Tommy Taylor came in and was manager. And I love Tommy to death. Love Tommy to death. Brilliant. Um, and then we had a procession of managers after Tommy, weren't there? So it was just one in, one out, one in, one out. And it was yeah. just a crazy time. But crazy time you know, where you have great memories. Some great times, some great, great laughs. And I said before, work with, just work with good people. Good people. You know, you look at John and Maureen, you look at John Thorogood, um, people who I work with, Mark Nelson, Melly, uh, Mickey Nuttall, um, Lewis Thorogood, Martin Bunce, you know, Alex Seaton, people are, people are good people. Jamie Lawrence, yourself. Yeah. Um, just good people. And Davy Farrell was at, at the start as well when he oh, finished. Yeah. Faz was quality, um, and ju just good people, and people who had good had strong ideas and good ideas. They weren't prepared to sit in their laurels. They wanted you to get better, and yeah. and and and, and when you get people like that together, it, it's it's hard work, but oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Obviously, the guys we've had on <clears throat> um, speak very very highly of you, and obviously, I think it's it's probably time to uh, to touch on on that because obviously we're on the coaching side of things but you know, youth team was massive you had a massive hand in the well the path that these boys have taken uh and that they'll openly admit that and they have done on here so you know you had some good crop of players because you was at the club where we was in the football league so we was getting people from all over you know to name one adam roundtree from up north yeah um who you know, stayed in digs at Boston College, I believe, and and, and went did his studies as well with with yourself. Um, but you know, you, you also brought in Neil Thorpe at that time initially when you came in. Um, so shout out to Thorpe, wherever, whatever country he's in nowadays. Um, so how did you um, how, how did you sort of? take the youth team and you sort of develop them players obviously you've got these coaching styles as mm. as we've heard earlier you had a tire strapped to you and you was running up a hill chances are they might have done something similar <laughs> we've heard the story about freeston uh making yeah. them run to freeston or make them run back and yeah. tommy was following him and then you sent him <laughs> back to do it again run into prison camps methods of telling people to go on and stand on people's toes and stuff like that very old school approach to stuff. But again, they are all cracking young people now. 
and you know all got families and they the life skills you've probably given at the time they were thinking oh my god he's crazy but actually you've set him up for life so you know what's your take on the boston youth team days because i know there's a lot of camaraderie especially on that yeah that minibus <laughs> what he was driving around <laughs> God, I, I, could, some, I could tell you some stories about some of the stuff I heard the back of that minibus. But it's it's <laughs> not, look, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to be a professional sportsman, regardless of what sport yeah. you're in, right? And when, I, when we first started off, when I first came into the youth team, you look, you only had to look at the characters in the dressing room that we had. We had some guys who had thousands of league games under their belts, right? Jason Lee, Noel Whelan. Right, Paul Ellender, Mark Greaves. Right? Sorry? Julian. Julian Joachim, yeah. right? Davy Farrell. These guys have got, between them get thousands of league games under their belt. So if you're going to make it as a professional, right? And work and, and be comfortable in that environment, there has to be something that separates you from everything else. You have to be the one thing you have to be is resilient, right? Yeah. You have many other traits, right? Um, but you have to be resilient. And you have to be, and if you fail, you've got to be prepared to go again. And in yeah. some of the some of the early ones, you look at Nick Jackson told that story really well about how I had no space, I had no space for Nick Jackson as a scholar, but I was desperate to get Nick Jackson in the door because I seen something in Jacko that it, it, Jacko wouldn't give up, and he'd yeah. fail, but he'd come back and try and prove you wrong, right? And when I asked him to come back, I think there was a bit of reservation. I said, please trust me. Please trust me. I'll, you know, you might not make it as a professional, but I tell you what, we'll get you playing, right? And and, and, and thankfully he came on board, right? And hopefully he's, hopefully he's had a good, a good time with it. But it's, I, I live and die by this, right? right? I, I, this, this is kind of one of my mottos, really. Hard work will always beat talent, right? When talent doesn't work hard. Right, so the hard work is the is the is the is a platform and the foundation for everything. You can't. Yeah. The question I asked the lads when we're in coaching just now: "So what were you doing at seven o'clock this morning?" Oh, I was in my bed. Well, the best players in the world were probably spent had been in the gym for an hour at seven o'clock this morning. Right, Cristiano Ronaldo getting all Cristiano Ronaldo got knocked out of the Champions League last night, but I will bet he's in the gym first thing this morning. Right, and they and so that those that work ethic and those standards have, have got to be a bare minimum, and I, and I, I don't mean this to be disrespectful when I say this to people, right? What they consider hard work and what I consider hard work are often different, and it's about closing that gap, right? Because you've got to remember these lads are sixteen, they're sixteen yeah. when they come and join you, right? They are boys, they are boys, and by the time they walk out the door when they're eighteen, they're men. Men, so it's it's a real difficult period for them, right? And and you've got to, and it takes a while. It takes a while to get them to buy into that kind of that work ethic. And but especially after we got uh, relegated, the leagues, you ha you had the difficult task that these boys have now got opportunities, and you had to turn these boys into men quite quick because they've got an opportunity of a lifetime to play in the first team. So some of the things you was was doing like, it sounds like it's really bad but it's not it's it was just turning them boys into men yeah. um and you know make no mistake these these kids had ability yeah right? people like adam milson and, and john fairweather and 
and uh, Lee Beeson and Michael Wood and that that kind of first group, yeah. Ben Joyce. They were good. These guys were good footballers, right? What they and were they good enough to make it as professionals? Not if they continued the way they were. They had to they had to lift their game. They had to lift their game and and whether it caught standards, whatever, I don't know. It's not just about working at 100 miles an hour all the time, right? We never had, we never had the tools to analyse games that we have at clubs nowadays. I look at our youth team at Doncaster, and as soon as the game's finished, they're watching clips of themselves, or they're watching clips. Of, so, so that we never had that back back in them days. So we had to we had to make do with things, and we had to really concentrate on ourselves and make the. And initially, Lou, initially. We were playing that foot that football, that Puma Youth Alliance. We weren't any we aren't we weren't any better or any worse than any of them. We were competing with Doncasters and Hulls and Hartlepools and Darlingtons and Notts Counties. We'd give any of them a game. We'd give any yeah. of them a game. Right? Um and, I mean there's some great stories off the back of it. And because we were not only we worked hard, right? But we good footballers and we were and hopefully I would like to think we were well organized and we we're fairly well coached. So that the kids, um, you know, were, were competitive, right? The night we played Lincoln, I heard Jack will talk about the, the night we played Lincoln, we get beaten penalties in the FA Youth Cup at Central Bank. We were a good side and we played Lincoln in the league, I think, a couple of weeks before, and they beat us by the odd goal. So the boys are, and they're, like Jack was saying, they're all bragging about it. But the boys have got the bit between their teeth. But in the first half, we were really disappointing. We didn't play well at all. I think yeah. we were a couple of goals down. And right at the I'll never forget this. Right at the bit five minutes to go in the first half, the boys been played, their goalkeeper or somebody's put it long. And all of a sudden Nick Jackson's pulled the ball down out there and played a pass. Right? And it was as if that was the spark. Yeah. As if they said, relax, stop, do what we want you to do, pass the ball, pass the ball. Right? And for the next, I'm not kidding you, Jack. And uh, for the next 45 minutes, we battered, we battered Lincoln, and we battered them in extra time, and we should have won the game. We had a couple of chances, a couple of right chances at the end to win the game, um, and ultimately we get beaten penalties. But the second half and the whole of extra time is what what my youth teams were all about: high, yeah. high energy, but pass the ball, move the ball, be ag- be aggressive, but pass the ball, pass the ball, and. Um, and they were a credit to themselves, and even though they get beat in penalties, but we were competing against some good sides, some good. And I'm absolutely certain, Blue. I'm absolutely certain that if we were still in the football league, right? If we were still in the football league at that time, you would have taken one or two of them as young pros. I'm certain. I'm certain. Yeah. Right. I see some of the lads who are playing now, and those guys, I would have taken one or two of them as young pros. Right. But you then haven't. We're in, the, we're in the non-league. You're having to blood Mitch Griffiths, Nick Jackson, John Fairweather, Adam Milson into non-league football. That's a different animal altogether. That's a yeah. different animal altogether. And some sink and some not sink, but some swim. Some can handle it. Yeah. Some, it's not. It's, it's maybe too early for them. I, I was obviously I, I used to come along and um, you know give you a, a hand with the the youth team and stuff. So I obviously I learned a lot from watching sessions and the way you man manage people as well you know I remember a scenario down the Davsy um, where two lads um, I won't name names but two lads ended up having a scrap and I, I was like I was nudging you I was like are you going to you're going to deal with them and you went no Lou just leave them and I went you what and th- again this is an eye opener to me as a young coach at the time 
and uh, you just let him have a bit of a brawl, get it out of the system. And then you walked in. You, in fact, you did that famous coach whistle, what you can do. Um, it's, a, it's a gift. You walked in. They both stood still. I think one was on top of the other about to hit him. And you told him to get up and you told him the words was put that passion and fight into tomorrow's game. And I remember fondly that the two people, one was centre-half, one was a right-back. And they played so well the next day and got performance because they actually put that fight and passion into the game. And I was like, oh, my days. These two look all but like they are going to kill each other. But, again, that was your man management style. And what I was a big fan of as, as well, which some of the guys have touched on during the other podcasts, is the... Um, taking the boys out of the comfort zones. Um, really difficult nowadays. I, I said on, I think it could have been the last one, it's really difficult nowadays with the type of kid. They hate it. They couldn't do it. Whereas these, some of them really reveled in it. And, and Sean, you know, for example, the, um, the Santa fun run. I mean, you used to go and with Shannon, I think it was, who was yeah. helping out. And, and Jamie would be in in town just to monitor it, uh, having a coffee, and you're just seeing loads of Santas run around Boston, you know, helping an old lady across the road, you know, getting a kiss off somebody, get, uh, pretending to be arrested by the police and having a photo with whatever. But it was scenarios, again, setting them up to break the mould, let the barriers down, and, you know, show a bit of maturity, um, as well, Cookie, it is a good one for you. Steve was always positive when he was working with us. And um, never, I've never really seen him be negative, but I, I've seen the biggest smile come across his face, and you wouldn't believe when. He came to me with the laptop up, and he was like, Lou, look at this. Look at this. This is brilliant. And it was, and I think he knows what I'm going to go on about, He's found, he liked to take the kids to a campsite or, you know, setting up tents and stuff. He's found the most dingiest, horrible place in like Skeg or somewhere. And their website, I kid you not, sang, we're all going on a summer, on a summer holiday <laughs> in like a polyphonic ringtone sound. And he was like, this is the place. This is magical. And he had them up at like, Five, five in the morning on the beach, running and stuff like that. Again, life skills. It's brilliant. And it, I, I, you were so excited about that place. I'll tell you exactly where it is. It's at Trustthorpe, right? <laughs> Just outside Mablethorpe, right? <laughs> I'll tell you now, right? It's, listen, Lou, that, you're right. We can't do it. I, I, if I say that I want to do that to my girl at HR, she'll have kittens, right? Oh, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. But back then, we, we used to go every August... It used to go in in August, right, just before the bank holiday. And we would go for three, two nights and we would turn up and we'd say to the parents, right, it would cost you 20 quid or something, right? Um, you've got to bring your own food. You've got to cook your own food. Um, yeah. Um, you can get, you'll get a shower token a day, right? So you get one shower in the shower block a day. We're coming in tents, blah, blah, blah. So you, we all roll up, say, on a, a Tuesday morning. We all pitch up all the tents. And then we'd go into the beach, right? Everybody pitched up and everybody's ready to go. We'd go to the beach and we'd take them for some physical work along the beach at Mablethorpe. And we'd finish up at the sand dunes at the far end. 
and they're up and down the sand dunes, right? And they were knackered, right? You have a couple of hours at it, right? And then we all, but then we all walk back to the campsite together as a group. So you're walking about a mile and a half along the beach. So everybody's talking to each other. Everybody's, it's just that pulling everybody together. They've then got to sit and eat. They've got to cook their own dinner. Now, some guys were turning up, not a lie, with two bags of 72 packets of crisps. That's them for the like two days, right? <laughs> of course, the lads are going, have a bit of that, and kids left with nothing, right? So you've all got to chip in. They've got to cook their own food, right? Except for the first night, the second, so you cook their own dinner, and then they've got a bit of downtime. So the, the place is in the middle of nowhere. Like the nearest chip shop's about a mile and a half walk away, right? They've got the old, they've got the clubhouse, which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It's got bingo on a Monday night, right? <laughs> Boxing night on a Tuesday, right? Karaoke on a Wednesday, right? right? Special guest on a Thursday, right? <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, it's absolutely brilliant, right? So the kids can't go anywhere, right? And and they won't serve them alcohol or anything like that. So it was, it was really safe. It was really, really safe. And they had to respect that there was other people there on holiday because there was caravans and everything there. And there's people camping for the week out of the week with their kids. So you have to be, behave yourselves. Following morning, you're right up at half five on the beach for six, playing football. Bring them back, cook their own breakfast. Then we take them out for a proper training session. Uh, we'd go down to Mablethorpe Football Club. There's a big grass area next to it. We'd set up the coaching session we do a proper session with them. And then in the afternoon, on the beach, first years v second years, game of cricket. Game of cricket, losers in the sea, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and then we'd come back, we'd have a bit of a social on the, maybe the last night, we'd have a bit of a social. Kids would maybe do skits, taking the mickey out of me and Jamie or me and Faz. Right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then we were, you know, but everything was controlled. Everything was controlled, you know. They they could they could express themselves. They could do this and do that. But by yeah. ten o'clock at night, right, quiet, boom, bed, let's go, right. And listen, I'm sure the lads will tell you, but it's some great times. Some, some great times doing that. Um, I'm not so sure they quite like the half five on the morning on the beach, but I, I enjoyed that. It was really good fun. Um, but again, it's like listen, it's like building that 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 team spirit. You know, whether that comes from the, being in the army, I don't know, but. I've had it everywhere I played. I had that that the most successful teams I've played in always had that kind of everybody yeah. would do it for each other. I know. That, I know the, play, the players they uh, they remember fondly the um, going to the army sites and you know that again that was a residential. But I suppose from yourself you you're showing them a, a different route. One, it's competitive. Two, it might be something that they might be interested in in sort of enlisting um, and so on. So. I think there was a hidden meaning behind going, not just to play football. Well, we a couple of stories, right? We went to, we went to RAF Oxbridge in London, right? So we used to play the RAF officers every year because we based ourselves at Cranwell. It was just to kind of oil the wheels. We'd play them at York Street. They'd come and have a weekend at York Street. And then later on in the year, we'd go down to RAF Oxbridge. So the first year we went down, I have butch to, I caught a bit of Butch's podcast about this. So Faz and I, Dave, Dave Farrell and I are taking them. We've got away down to Oxbridge. We've played the RAF officers, no problem. They've put us in this barracks room, right? And uh, they're on two, in effect, two dorms, right? right. You've got to remember, these boys are 16, 17 years of age, testosterone everywhere, right? They want, <laughs> and you're going to get the odd scrap. 
sometimes you're just going to get that. It's life, right? And but we're upstairs, me and Faz. The game's finished. The night kickoff, so it's about we're like must be about half eleven at night. And Faz, me and Faz are upstairs, and the lads are downstairs, and they're making a racket, right? As they do, as kids do. So Faz goes, "Well, she, I'll go and deal with this." I said, "You better, Faz, because if I go down there, I'm going to go bananas, right?" <laughs> so go down. Faz goes, "Listen, guys, you need to calm down." So he's going down about three times, and they're they're piping down, but no much. It must have got to about two o'clock in the morning. I've had enough. Blanket off, right? Don't I go off? Kicked a door in, right? You lot. And I think I've caught one of them with a chair behind his head like that. What he was doing with it, I don't know. There's mattresses up the wall, right? There's like it's carnage, it's carnage, right? Right, you get yourself to bed, or else I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna smash his, right? I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get my own back. And that's right, Butch is right. We come back and we went via Cranwell. We went via Cranwell on the way back and we took him on the hill at Cranwell. Yeah, just little things like that, right? I know more than groaning, but um, that the following year, Jamie and I went, or a couple of years later, Jamie and I went with an RAF Oxbridge was closing down. This is and uh, <laughs> this time with the college lads ways as well, so some of them weren't necessarily footballers, right? So they're going, Oh, we're going to London, we're going to London, right? So right, Jamie and I are going, what are we going to do with this lot? And literally, round the corner of the area at Foxbridge, there was like a bit, kind of retail park. They had like a Frankie and Benny's, um, you know, five guys, that type of thing, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, a couple of, and a couple of pubs, right? Some of them were 18, remember? Oh, no, this is a disaster written all over it. But this time we're in the sergeants. They put us in the sergeants' mess because they're closing down. So everybody's in individual rooms, so it's easily controllable. So Jamie says to us, Steve, we don't know we better go out and buying them some beers and just go and sit in a room and we can control it all. I mean, I don't know, Jamie, I don't, I can't, come on, we'll do it, right? So we, we go into the bar and we buy a load of beers, enough maybe for two beers for everybody, right? And we're sitting in the room, this big sitting room, and we're up, and the boys are having a couple of beers. And of course, a couple of beers is to you and I is fine, but to some of these boys, two beers and they're gone, right? And they're going, going, oh no, right? So I spent that whole night walking up and down the corridor. I'd spent the whole night walking up and down the corridor making sure nobody came out of the room, right? Just as that. And then the next, day, the next day we went to the Emirates and got a tour of the Emirates. And to the kids' credit, to the kids' credit, they were brilliant, really, really well behaved. Brilliant, really, really good, really, really good. Um, but it's just little things like that that you offer a little bit of responsibility to the kids. Say, right, come on. Have you, are you mature enough to take that or are you going to go mental? And actually, yeah. to their credit, they were they were brilliant, really. They really were. But, uh, hey, yeah, like I say, great times and uh, fond memories of youth team days. And you know, it, I think that's what it's all about because, you know, even if they didn't make it and, and play, you know, like for your whizzes and uh, Spaldings and Boston Towns and stuff like that now, you know, at least they're taking something away from from that experience. So, and that's what it should be about. Well, Lou, um, over the years, you know, over the, we had some good teams. Yeah. We had some good teams, right? You know, that first group you're talking about Adam Milson and 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 Jono and and Woody and all that. Nick Jackson, they were a good side. They were a good side. And then you got a couple of years later, you bring in the, the Scott Dawson's and the Jacob Smitheringales and Jason Field. Again, that that group. We, I think we were one point off of winning the league. 
Uh, I think we get beat. I think we played Staley Bridge Celtic away, and we get beat one. Or we drew with them. We had to beat them, but we were very, very close to winning. Well, it, it was the, it was the local talent as well. You you give opportunities to and and I know uh, James Palin at Wimbledon, who's a good friend of mine and Cook, is he'll be buzzing about this one. But it's the likes of Grant Butlers and stuff like that who yeah. came through the college. He yeah. was probably going to play for the college, but you actually had him in with the youth team because yeah. he excelled so much. Uh, Jack Jacko made a good point, you know. Jacko made a good point when he was talking about how he felt the Boston boys had a wee bit of something in them, right? Yeah. And that, there's a point to that. There's a point, you know. It's as if the, some of the Boston lads had a wee bit of a pebble in their shoe, if you know what I mean. A wee bit of a chip, not a chip. That's not true. Yeah. But they, they, there was a desire there to kind of almost underdog desire to prove everybody. Oh, you're from Boston. Where's Boston? Well, actually, we're, we're not that bad, you know. Right. Yeah. And what? And I don't just mean that group. All the way through the groups, the Grant Butlers and the Jordan Nuttles and the and and, and people like that, all had that wee bit about them, right? Yeah. They all had that wee bit about them. They wanted to go and prove people wrong. Scott Dawson's, um, you know, Jason Fields' group, that group as well. Um, you know, even when you go further on later on, the Miles Lynches and the Josh Spencers and the Ollie Prices, people like that, all had that wee bit about them. They want R and I. They all wanted to prove the world wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and as a result, we had some really good FA Youth Cup runs, some really good FA Youth Cup runs, uh, and we done well in leagues and things like that. And and the kids, some of the kids, some of the opportunities, there, some of the things that the kids are doing. Those see kids, that's terrible. They're all grown men now, but some of them are doing some great. They're all doing great things, but some of them are doing exceptional things. Yeah, no, no. a lot of them are playing still to this day, and. Um, whether that's Lynx League or UCL, you know they're still doing so so well for himself. You know, like you mentioned about Aaron Iyer, he's in the RAF. Um, I mean, again, he he probably knew what he's getting himself in for because he's been through a Welsh training session. So uh, <laughs> he, he said, he, I think he, when he went in, he said, "I've already done day one. I've done it with Steve, started <laughs> recent." But um, no, it's it, it's brilliant. Um, and obviously when um, you did that and well 18th of November was the date 2008 uh, you, you mentioned that you know you've got a lot of time for him Tommy leaves uh, and you now appointed caretaker manager of, of the first team and uh, after a month of half decent results she was appointed permanent manager uh, and uh, it was said that you were you from a coach to a manager you ticked all the boxes I do have, courtesy of our good friends uh, off script, uh, Mr. Christian James at Boss United Stats on Twitter. Um, I do have your stats as a first team manager of Boston, Steve. And it's not bad, really. You played 34, you won 10, drew 12 and lost 12. Um, team scored 40 and conceded 43. Um, and hit in his words was not bad for a side in a relegation battle um the first game was at home to frickley and they lost three two um biggest win five nil at home to prescott and the boy ricky miller scored a hat trick that's right uh heaviest defeats was a five nil home and away to nantwich i believe you missed that though because you was ill nantwich and, and, and Stuart Tolbert had to take the team, which you you picked the side, which you probably want to say Tolbert picked the side, right? Yeah. No, <laughs> right. Look, 
um, the, the two Nantwich games stick out for me for various reasons. You're right, I'd, I'm very fortunate I don't often get ill, but it was just after, between Christmas and New Year, we played Nantwich, and I was really ill. I was up at Cranwell one day taking training, and I was I had every bit of clothing in my wardrobe on. I was terrible state. We got home, didn't get out of my bed for like three or four days. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, Tobbs took that, and we could beat 5 0. Um, I do remember that the, the Prescott game because, well, the chairman the chairman asked me, the chairman said to me, when Tommy left, I was literally down training at Freestons, and Tommy, um, next thing I know, I see John Blackwell standing at the side of the training house. It's John down there, and he's waving me over. So I goes across and he says, he says, Tommy's left. I'm like, you're joking me. I just, as I was pulling out the car park, Tommy was pulling in. I thought, but you're joking me. He went, no, he's, 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 the man, he's been relieved of his duties. Like, you're joking me. I went, right, okay. He says, so when you're finished here, come and see me in the office. I went, right, okay. So I see him. He says, the chairman wants to talk to you. So I've got the phone to the chairman. The chairman says, Steve, will you take it short term? And I says, listen, I'll do what I've got to do, right? Um, so we've done it. We got a few results. We got a wee bounce at the lads. Um, and any company says, listen, I'm going to appoint you permanently, right? Will you do me a favour? And I says, what's that? He says, can you keep us up? And I went, oh, well, I says, I can, but we, were, we, we had a bit of a hangover for the Football League with guys who were still on Football League contracts, right? And half of them were, well, half of them, but there was a few of them sat in the stand, no playing, injured. Right, okay, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. But, you know, I had a choice. I said, right, if you want me to keep you up, I need I need to bring in two players. I need to bring Andy Stanhope in with me because he's got an idea of players. I says, and I need Paul Ellender and I need Ricky Miller. Right? Um, I said that just after, just in the new year, I said that to him. I says, if you want me to stay up, if you're serious, I need these two guys in. Elio showed everything up for me. I says, and, and Ricky's got goals in them. He says, Steve, I've got no money. I've got no money. The financial crisis had just hit. Right, and it hit business is bad, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've not got a brown penny. And I says, well, I'm going to have to throw the kids in. And it's a kind of sink or swim scenario, right? And I remember going to Elkiston one evening, throwing Mitch Griffiths on. And I took Mickey not away. I asked Mickey, not, Mickey must have been 38, something like 39, maybe more. And I said, Nick, Mick, will you come and help me out? I just need some. Mick came on the bench. We were getting beat 1-0. Mix went on, he's tricked the centre forward in, he's tricked the centre half, got a penalty. Mitch Griffiths has crossed it in, Mix, Mix went down, got a penalty, and we drew one each. And that was a kind of spark for us a wee bit. Yeah. Um, Jacko came in, Millie came in, and, and, and we gave them game time. Some of them struggled with it, some of them coped with it better than others. Uh, but it was one of them where uh, we had a, group, a, a good, a decent group of non-league players who would help these young boys, you know, the, the Parker brothers. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Wes and, and, and Liam, uh, and, and we'd one or two other lads who would help these kids, right? Um, and I thought it was a really good environment to help them with. And, and I kept saying to people, Dustin, don't worry if you make mistakes. I've made more mistakes than any of you. Just go and play. And and, and some of them done, Millie done particularly well, but Jacko done all right. And, and, and yeah, I put, remember putting Jacko in, and this is, I felt rotten for him because he, he had a bit, not a bad game, but he, he was struggling a wee bit. The guy he was playing against was a good player. He was playing at York Street and he, he had a first half where he just he just wasn't getting anything right. And I said to him at half, I remember saying to him at half time, listen, I'm not going to swear, I says, but just tell them to get to 
Fenerbahce, right? And just just got on with your game, and and he just needed that encouragement, and he got on, and he done he done all right, he done all right in the second half, he managed it, and that for me that's a real positive. The guy's having not a great half of football, and then he comes in and steadies himself in the second half against that type of opposition. That's really good for a kid's development. That really good, good for that as well. So, you've you've obviously enlisted the trust in him as well, and it it, it just rubs off. Yeah, it's got to, you've got to, and you've got to make decisions. It's difficult. Eventually, the, the gaffer, the chairman, let me bring Paul Ellender in and Ricky Miller. Um, now, I knew Ellie's legs, had, I knew Ellie's legs had gone, but I knew Ellie could. Pull, every, pull everybody around because he was a great pro, Ellie. He was a great pro. Um, pull everybody around about him. And then, as you say, Ricky scored three at Prescott first half. I think he scored three in the first half of my, my memory says me right. Um, and I went on and he, he's, Ricky scored the goal. Well, I remember going to Hednesford away. It was second last game of the season. And Hednesford were flying at the time. And we went and we defended. I mean, Ellie was outstanding. Ellie yeah. was outstanding. Him and we just defended, 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 defended brilliantly. And then we popped the popped the ball over the top with five minutes to go and Ricky Miller's gone. And he's managed to toe poke it in and we win one 0 It was a proper smash and grab. I say smash and grab, but we just defended really, really well. I think it's one of the few times I've up, up not the dugout given it <laughs> stuff, you know. What I mean? Delighted with him. And and uh I was really relieved and we managed to well, that was that that pretty much kept us up. And that was and in fact that was my job done, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um and the season finished and the chairman came to me and he said, Do you want the job? And I says, Well, I can give you two answers. I can give you an answer from my heart and an answer from my head. And he says, What do you mean? This is if I give you an answer from my heart, I'll take the job tomorrow. Take it now, take it now, and I'll, I'll go and work away. I says, but my head's saying you don't need me. Right, you don't need me. You don't need me. You you need somebody. I can tell you, like I said to you before, Lou. I can tell you, there's a great twelve-year-old fullback in Lincoln, or a great fourteen-year-old centre half in Boston. What you need is somebody who's the who knows the best left back in the Conference North, right? Yeah. And the best centre half or the best centre forward at the budget you've got. I'm not your man if that's what you're looking for. And he and he says, I thought as much, Steve. I thought as much. Um. And, they, and that's when they brought Robin, uh, Rob, Rob Scott, and Paul Hurst in, and and they done brilliantly. They done brilliantly. Yeah, I, but I, I'll come back to that bit. But obviously, just finishing off your your uh, your stats as first team manager, you got thirteen clean sheets. Yeah. Um, you know, some may say you're bringing in kids. Um, you brought in Ricky Miller, Gary King, Ben Sedgemore, Paul Ellender. Uh, obviously, was a vital part, uh, and obviously he improved a lot of the young kids around. Uh, you gave first starts of the season to Butch, Milson, Fairweather, Beck and Jackson. It's like we've set this up on the podcast without having Becky on. Mm-hmm. Um, your top goal scorers under your reign was Ollie Ryan yep. with nine. Um, Ricky Miller with six and Johnny Rowan. John Rowan with mm-hmm. five. You ended the season 16th. Uh, you had jo- joint fourth best defensive record in the league through uh, though conceded 52 all season. So that's not really too bad when you look at the the actual stats and and what you what you did with the club. Um, but with with Rob and Paul coming in, and I know this we're knowing you, um, you was quite a vital part of. Was it a Sean Pearson coming in? You'd identified Sean for yeah. 
yeah. for Rob and Paul. And I think, was you behind the Jamie Clark coming in? Yeah. Had you already agreed that with Stanford? Yeah, yeah I'd agreed that with Stanford. Um, yeah. You know, you, towards the end of the season, you, you, whether you, you don't know whether you're getting the job or not getting the job or being offered that or yeah. not. But you, you, you have to start forward thinking. And I'd spoke to uh, Pierce about coming and I'd spoke to one or two others about coming. Um, and the first time I met Rob and Paul um, face-to-face was at the community day. Right. The community day on the pitch. And um, we'd set some stuff up with some of the younger teams playing. I get introduced to the both of them. And I said, guys, listen, I there's nothing more inappropriate than the old manager hanging about, right? A bit like Shank, yeah. they used to do at Liverpool years ago. <laughs> you know, I said, listen, I, you won't see me. You won't see me. I won't be anywhere near training. I says... It's your job. You got on with it. I've got my job. If you need me for anything, don't hesitate to pick up the phone. But I've identified a couple of players that you might be interested in. Um, gave them the players, and they obviously acted on that thereafter, right? Um, uh, and and they were great. To be fair to the two of them, the two of them were great to me. Um, and I'd sort of phoned them the day before the game, wish them all the best, and things like that. But really, my involvement with them was was. It was minimal, the odd phone call conversation. Um, once they'd got their players in, it was, they were their own men and they got on with that and, and, and fair play to them, fair play to them. Um, you know, I did say to them, if I, if I found that there was a talented kid coming through that we felt had a real chance, then I would, I'd give him a heads up, you know. The obvious one probably being Tom Hopper at the time. We had Tom, yeah. and we had Tom in the system. And Melly had told me about Tom Hopper. Um, and I'd been to watch him a couple of times. He was only what. 14, 15 at a time. So this boy's boy's got something, right? I remember I remember speaking to you one time at the club about um the next up and coming one. And you said Tom Hopper. And I said, Well, what what's different to what does Tom Hopper do different to all these other lads? And you said, Whereas a good player we've got at the minute can do something in three touches, he can do it in one. So it like opening his body up to receive to play quick and and he, he just knew everything. He just had that little bit of magic. And I remember you saying that to me. I was thinking, wow. You really, know, really, really, Mark Melson uh, said, listen, he had Mark had him as a youngster, and he said, Steve, listen, he, he just turns game, he just turns games in his head. He just yeah. give the body hops and he goes and scores. And and he says, Melly had a really good, uh, a really good group of young players at that time. I was. Jake Beauchamp, there was Ellie Price, Hops, um, a few others. Good yeah. side, good, good, kind of very, very good mid-links side, if you want to call it. We brought them into the academy. Um, and I remember saying, I, I took Hops one night, Melly and I took him to play for the youth team. Early season, we went to play Leicestershire under-18s at Leicestershire's County FA. And I phoned my mate, and my mate was a under-18s coach at Wolves, guy I used to play with. I says, Mick, you've got to come and look at this boy. This boy's he's got something different about him. I says, I'm not, I'm not blown up. Anyway, my mate, the Wolves have come along to watch him that night, along the, whether they were there to watch Hops or there to watch just a game, but there was Wolves there, Newcastle there, Stoke were there, Leicester were there, Forest were there. There must have been a dozen or so clubs there. And Hops is a 15, under 16, start under 16, so he's just 15, has tore the place up. 
tore the place up, right? He was he was almost unplayable that night, right? And my mate said to me afterwards, he says, I'm going to have to have a word with him. But Leicester obviously acted a lot quicker. Leicester went in and boshed straight on the phone to him. And he yeah. was in and he went on trial. And obviously the rest is history. He went on and, and signed for Leicester. The day he signed for Leicester, I'll never forget it. I was in the boardroom. Um probably doing something with Grant Butler or something like that. <laughs> or something I don't know, right? But, <laughs> uh, but Tom Hopper's dad's come in, Tim Hopper's come in. And he said to me, Steve, we're just on our way to sign for Leicester. Uh, just to thank you. I was like, no, no, just away you go. God, good luck to you. Good luck, Tom, all the rest. They left, they left the boardroom, and I swear to you, within half an hour, the phone goes, it's Manchester City. Yeah, Tom Hopper, yeah, yeah. I said, well, you better be quick. There's his dad's mobile. He's on his way to sign for Leicester. Now, at this time, Man City weren't what Man City are now, but yeah. still Man City. As soon as I put the phone down, the phone goes again. Tottenham Hotspur. See, yeah, uh, Tom Hopper. I says, yeah, there's his dad's number. He's on his way to sign for Leicester. If you can convince him otherwise, good luck to you. So, I, I mean, obviously went on and signed for Leicester and he's done what he's done and obviously he's playing for that lot up the road now. Um, but he's a decent career at the game, but good player. Good player. Yeah. So, overall, your, uh, your tenure at Boston was you know, very successful. You know, you had a great time. I obviously you're you're brilliant at setting up uh, inflatable football pitches on Community Day or taking it down, especially. Um, <laughs> but no, ha- good memories, happy times. Um, you know, very successful in the way of so you, you kept the the club up, and uh, one of your kids ended up becoming five time uh, Player of the Year that year. <laughs> it's amazing, fate fate really. So. Um, obviously, you um, you then you then moved on from Boston. You ended up going to was it Ilkeston your first one sure. away? Yeah. You then had a really good, great run in the FA Youth Cup, which yeah. obviously you had memorable nights at Boston as well in, in 2015-16. Um, from Ilkeston, you went to Long Eaton at Nottingham. Long Eaton. Yeah. Um, yeah. which you obviously played against uh, Boston's uh, youth team set up under nineteen. Yeah. And from there, you've which you're currently at. You are what's your official title at Doncaster Rovers? It's the I'm head, I'm head of coaching, head of coaching head, at Doncaster. Head of coach. yeah. Um, so you know you, it's come full circle, full circle, really, hasn't it? So you know you've gone from uh, a little team in Scotland, St Mirren, up and down the country here, there, dragging Paula and the kids everywhere. Um, but you seem you seem quite settled in the job. You're happy in in the job at the minute. Yeah, good, good, Lewis. I mean, listen, you've we've kind of went through there. Some great, just just brings out some great memories. Been very, 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 very fortunate in my life to have worked with some some good coaches, what played with and play and and, and worked with some very good footballers. I've coached yeah. some very good footballers, but the most important thing is I've worked with good people, good people, and people you can trust. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think about my ten years at Boston, and you can't, you can't work for a, you can't work for a football club for that long and go through the highs and lows that we did at that time without having a real affinity for the place. Yeah. And you know, I, 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 I can't wait for next season to come or some point to come down and look at a new ground. But as a part of me, is sad really because York Street is York Street. York Street is it's old, 
it's battered, it's knackered, it's creaking at the edges, it's <laughs> apart, but it's a great place to play football. Oh, great cool. place. It's a great place to be involved. When you get, I mean, I remember Full House, I mean, you had Rochdale last year, didn't you? Um, but I remember when Lincoln used to come and they would, they would fill, and it would just be a great atmosphere. I mean, you had big nights at York Street. It was, it was a really, really good atmosphere. And, yeah. and, and, and it saddens me a little bit because it was perfect. It was right in the middle of town. You know, I guess youngsters who would go and watch football with their dad and they go and watch Boston at York Street and they come out and they get a bag of chips and a pickle for the and they make their way home. That's what memories and football is all about, right? Uh, nowadays, they'll be going to York Street or they'll be going to the new stadium and coming out and having a vanilla latte, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? right rather than a bag of chips and a pickle, it's a vanilla <laughs> latte. Right? So... Bit different, bit different, but the, the stadium looks great, and I wish the club every success there. I really, really do. But as a part of me, still going to be at York Street for sure. Still going to be. Uh, part of it. They'll always be a part of us all, which is at York Street. Um, it's just, you know, it's just a magical place. And just that before we went into um, a lockdown, just having that last memory, which I, I think <clears throat> it, it might get replay, replayed on people's Facebooks, uh, you know, every other week is the, the goal Thulis scored and the crowd went mental. We was working that night, me and Cookie, and along with the other community staff members, and it was just bonkers. We had, we had to direct people to which entrance they need to be at because it was just massive. And you, you get the TV cameras there, you're going to have loads of people. But it just adds so much and it brought the town together. It was just a shame, you know, it, it ended like it did um, because... Obviously, the chair, chairman deserved that as well uh, on the, the final farewell. Um, hurrah for the place. So, but what's happened's happened. As you say, the new stadium's coming along nicely and we, we look to hope, or we, fingers crossed, we, we look to hope and get the, the fans in very, very soon, really. Um, so that's sort of your, your pro career, going through your coaching, a few stories, the teams after Boston. Cookie, this is your section. You've probably got no clue which these players are going to be, so I might have to help you out. Uh, right, the one to 11 then. Oh, um, yeah. Righty, do you want to just uh, give the viewers a little brief? Because I'm guessing you give Steve a brief. Yeah, on so to, to be honest, I didn't give Steve a lot of time, not like the younger uh, lads. I, I dropped it on him about an hour before we was about to, uh, to record, and... I, I said, I offered it players who you've played with or against, and he's gone for players he's played against. So the 1-11 to 11 is the players who's played against. And as I said, if Michael Loudrup or uh, one of the Loudrup, it, it is Michael, in it, who you played against, Steve? Brian. Brian, Brian, Brian. Loudrup. If Brian's not in it, it's a travesty. All right, let's, let's go. All right, goalkeeper. Schmeichel. Don't have to oh. say no more, really. <laughs> it, well, it's gone big. <laughs> no, listen, I, I feel like I... I don't want to swear. I feel like I... You always have to drop names left, right and centre here, but I, you're asked for the best players. The one or two yeah. surprises, but here we go. Schmeichel. I've got it for a 4-4-2 formation, by the way. Excellent. Love that. Uh, right, I'm going to go for... Right back, I've went with Lee Dixon. 
So, Shemichael, when, when did you play against Shemichael, Steve? Uh, he was at, obviously, Man United. Um, I yeah. played, he played a reserve game. <laughs> <Did> <laughs> it? it was a reserve game he played, um, and he was coming back for injury, and he played, and we played right. up at Man United's training ground with Cambridge, and, yeah, it was it was brilliant, yeah, good, good. So, so Kevin Pilkinson was meant to play that game, but Shemichael came in. Was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not bad, eh? not bad. <laughs> yeah. Not bad. It was, so, it was I, a close I, one between him and somebody else, but I, I'm not Shemichael. Uh, when, when did you uh, get to play against Dixon? Who was you playing for then? Cambridge again. Played him in Cambridge. the FA Cup. Played him in oh. the FA Cup at, Hi at Highbury at the time when awesome. the Tony Adams and all that group were there. So they were, that was in the early 90s. Good side. Yeah. Awesome. Left back. Left back, I'm not sure. This is... I'm torn. I'm torn. I would say maybe a lad called David Robertson, right? Who, if you ever get the chance to watch BBC iPlayer, look at Real Kashmir. If you've right. ever seen Real Kashmir. Dave Robertson played for the other half of Glasgow. Um, played for Scotland as well. Um I was torn between him and somebody else, but I think I'm, I'm probably going to give him the nod. You know, you can't play in the European Cup semi-final without being a decent player. So, I'm going to have to give it to him. Right. Centre-halves? Two centre-halves. Saul Campbell. Right. Although, when I played against Saul Campbell, he was centre-forward for Tottenham. Really? Um, yeah, he played centre-forward the night we played them. Um, or, well, we played him. We played him in FA Cup, and he had a replay with him. So he played, um, and alongside him, I'm going to put Richard Goff. Right. Richard Goff, Rangers in Scotland captain, um, just a Rolls Royce of a player. Sorry, and I, yeah, he was a Rolls Royce of a player. Yeah, Both yeah. of them were, but Goff was, Goff was incredible, incredible. We played for Tottenham, obviously. And, um, but, Who was you playing for when you played Tottenham? No, no, I was play, I played against him when he, when he played for Rangers. Oh, played right, for so Rangers. So I was playing at Thistle and Dunfermline and he was playing for Rangers. Right. So, okay. Midfield? Uh, yeah, let's, let's go uh, Let's go with the flanks. I've, I've put Loudrop on one of the sides, right? Yes. I've put Brian Loudrop on one side, right? Uh, only, and I'll tell you this true story, right? Uh, Loudrop... We, up to that point, he was the best player I've ever played against. He had unbelievable balance and he was unbelievably quick. And for a whole year, I took absolute pelters because of him. When you've watched Match of the Day and, and, the, and the, the titles come up Match of the Day, to start Match of the Day. And it's all the, in Scotland, it's called Sports Scene, right? And in the opening credits, there's Brian Loudrop got the ball and his knee about to slide in and beat, take the ball off him and he just nips the ball over me. And that's one every single week for 40 <laughs> weeks of the year. And you're, yeah. you're getting absolute pelters for it, right? So, but he was incredible, incredible. He was as quick with the ball as he was without it. He was just, it was, and his balance was wow, incredible. You know, you don't win the European Championships with Denmark without being a good player. So, no, definitely not. Okay, I've went with a tight midfield three, right? I've went with John Collins. John Collins, yeah. John Collins used to be at Celtic and then on, on to play for Monaco. Uh, John Collins was a... He would touch every blade of grass on the pitch, John Collins, but his vision and his passing was 
phenomenal. I think actually as he left, he left Celtic, went on, he was a Hibs Celtic, and then he went on to Monaco and he won the European Cup with Monaco. Um, yeah. I think when he went to Monaco, he was an even better player. He was, you know, that, that French, that foreign French football really suited them. European football suited them. Very, very good footballer. Very when did, when did he play against John Collett? Who was again? Okay, was that Thistle, Yeah, Thistle and uh, yeah. uh, for and at Celtic Park. Um, and then uh, alongside him, I put Paul McStay uh, for Celtic. Um, McStay was uh, when I played against McStay. It, it, it was at Thistle and, and Dunfermline, and he was probably at, at the end of his career. Right, uh, I remember watching him for Celtic as a young kid, and he used to call him the maestro. Um, I mean, he could have played, he could have played in any league in the world. Right, when the Italian league was the best league in the world, every year when he was at Celtic, it was Italian clubs trying to buy him. He was that good. Yeah. Um, when you see him face to face, he's just his balance and what I said to you before, he was doing things one touch people would take three touches to do, and that yeah. real class, real class. And then alongside them, I suppose I've got to put him in, really, uh, is Gascoigne. <laughs> Colleague as well. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, he played for that lot, didn't he? He played for Rangers. Uh, <laughs> and he scored, he scored a goal at Farhill and I almost stood and applauded him. It was that good. Right? right. Um, he's took a, he's, he's took a, they've took a corner in the, the guys, Charlie Miller, the Rangers plus, fired it at Gascoigne. I mean, he's fired it at him. And he's, he's, he, Gascoigne's right at the corner of the box. And one of our players has went to close him down. He's f one touch, flicked it over the lad's head, right? Flicked it over the lad's head, and he's half volleyed it. And as he's half volleyed it, he said, he shouted, top left. And it's nestled in the top left-hand corner of the goal. And Ali McCoy was playing... And I could hear, could distinctly hear Ali McCoy saying, did he just call that? Did he just call? Gascoigne's away, he's got the finger up, he's gone. Right? I wonder if I he... almost uh, stood there, almost stood there and applauded. It's unbelievable. I wonder if he ever shouted bottom right in the Euros. <laughs> when he played, he'd just come back for Italy, he'd just come back for Lazio, and Walter Smith and Rangers had got him in a right good place. He was... That, there was that. It was just before Euro '96. I played with him, played against him, yeah, yeah. and he was he was in an outstanding form. Outstanding. Did you have much involvement with him when he he did come to Boston, Steve? Did you? No, before my time. Before my time. Was it really? Uh, yeah, I remember. However, I remember he played for Boston against Lincoln one evening at Boston in a reserve match, and I'm, I'm desperate to see him. Desperate to go down and see him. What he was like, and he. The Boston lads had went out for the second half and he was sat and he was shaking. He was in the dressing room and he was shaking. He had a can of monster of Red Bull and he was having a fag. Right, in the dressing room. And I, I thought, really? And a few years earlier, I'd played against him and he was just sensational. Just right. just before Euro 96, we played him. And you know what he'd done in Euro 96, obviously. So, um, yeah, incredible. Again, one of those kids, you just one of those guys, you just couldn't get the ball off him. Gonna get ball off him, he's just so good. He's uh, anyway, world class, yeah. Center forwards, two one you'll know instantly, the other one you, you may know if you know your lower league football. Uh, and I've put this in for a reason. Um, first one's Henry Larson, right? Oh, what a player, right? Very much like Loudrup, 
right? Very similar. Couldn't get anywhere near him, right? Um, he, was, he, he had balance, he had poise, he was quick, he was strong, he was two-footed. He, he just had everything. He was good. I mean, for a small guy, he was good and he was brilliant in the air. Um, and as a Celtic fan, he's obviously a legend to me, but but to play against him, man, him and Loudrop, by the way, by the way, right? I mean, it's like a it's like a fag paper between them as far as ability is concerned. They're that good, that good. Yeah. Um, and the last one is a name that you will not remember. And he's probably I've played against better players than this, but I found this guy very very difficult to play against every time I played him. Is the guy called Chris Malkin? Now, Chris Malkin's not a name that jumps out at a lot of people. Chris played for Tranmere for a, quite a few years and whoever else. But Chris was about six foot four. He was a big kind of Peter Crouch type figure, big, gangly, awkward. And I must have played against him, say, about half a dozen times and never had a good game against him. Never. I just couldn't, for whatever reason, just couldn't get a grip of him. He was just awkward. Um, and a very, very, for me, a very difficult. I could never quite figure out how to play against him. I think yeah. I mean, we may have come off 50-50 on the odd occasions, but most of the time I was struggling to stay with him. I don't know why. I just, I just, he was a very awkward opponent. Good player, had a good career in the game, but um, I found him very difficult to play against. So and if, if you was going to name a captain out of that side, Steve, who would you go for? Goff. And your choice of manager? From the managers I've had, or yeah. from, or any manager, uh, managers you've had. Let's go, managers you've had. Would it would it be the Air United one because of the coaching? Many Monroe would be a coach. Many would be the coach. I think um, I'm going to have to swing for Chris Turner, God rest his soul, at, at Peterborough. Right? right, very good man, manager of people. Right, new a bit like John Lambie. I, 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 actually, if I put John Lambie and Paul Gasco in the gun in the same room, it would be, it would be <laughs> so. Um, I think Tons at Peterborough for me, he was a real mentor to me. Uh, Tons um, helped, probably started, helped me really in my career, really helped me. Um, and I think he would have, he'd got that personality, he had that, he'd have, he was a big man anyway. Um, and he would have enough enough about him to, to, to work with that dressing room, no problems. What a team! Yeah. Okay. What a team! Yeah, lovely. Did you Did you know many of them ones, Cooks? I know a few. Yeah, not all of them, but a few. The, the ones who's on like a soccer aid team on FIFA, which is Shamichael, Gascoigne, and Larson. Yeah. In yeah. fact, Loud La- La- needs to be on that. Uh, big fan. So that concludes. This podcast, obviously, it's been it's been a long one. I think it's the longest one yet, but it's been worth Sorry. it. Sorry. Um, no, it's been worth it, Steve. To fair, we've we've touched on loads of things. Um, you've got more experience than all the other guests we've had on, don't you? So, um, you've got a birthday coming up soon. I see. Yeah, no, right. couple, yeah, next month. Yeah, next month. Next month. Next month. Um, so uh, many happy returns Thank for that. Um, all. I need to say now really is obviously just thank you for uh, thank you for coming on uh, giving up your time um, and, and just you know sharing us sort of this park is this is your life um, 
Uh, it's been it's been brilliant. Obviously, I like to reminisce about the uh, the past um, and hear the stories again because it just cracks me up. Especially some of the ones which we can't physically put on the podcast, which you've told me, um, which we'll never probably get told in public. Um, Cookie, anything from you before we wrap it up? Um, I, oh, sorry. I'm just going to ask the question that I ask everybody at the end. Just one bit of advice you'd give to a player, a younger player coming through right now. One bit of advice. I'm going to be selfish, tricky, and go with two bits of advice. All right? <laughs> two bits of advice right? And I'll go back to what I said earlier on. Um, hard work will all will always beat talent when talent doesn't work hard, right? And the last bit for me is we're also you're supposed to enjoy football. Football is supposed to be enjoyed. Please, 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 if a young player, please go and play with a smile on your face. Go and play with a smile on your face because I say to everybody, you'll everybody will find their level. It doesn't matter what level of football you play at whether it's Sunday morning with your mates after a, a night in the lash or whether it's professional. It doesn't matter. If you're enjoying your football, it's the best game in the world. It's the best game in the world. And if you're out there enjoying it, life doesn't get any better. You're a long time retired. Trust me, you're a long time retired. Um, just enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. Play with a smile on your face. 100%. Totally agree. Cookie, obviously Steve, on that, ad, that first bit of advice, that's your slogan for the uh, the promo, yeah? Already, he's written it for you. You don't even have to think about it. Um, yeah, oh, it's got to be the, get that in head, the headline. Um, put it in capital letters. So, Steve, thanks a lot, mate. Um, you know, you always used to sign off the, the programme notes, all the best. Uh, all the best, eh? All, all the best. best. Yeah, in your programme notes at Boston. So, I think that's a fitting way to, uh, you know, sign off today so yeah again thank you so much for coming on and um sharing your, your stories so it's been off script um until next time we'll see you soon <laughs>